Welcome to Rogue Bogues. This is episode seven. Holy shit, pro, we are seven in. We're still here. Shit, how about that? Seven fucking episodes, man. Yeah, who would have thought? Seven I, episodes. I thought there'd be billboards and protests by now, but um, we're doing something right. Our, our following and our subscribers and our listens continue to slowly surge up week to week, which is a good sign, um, considering this is a weekly podcast right now. You know, it's obviously hard to have people tune in for the first episode where they can just get the latest one, but there's, there's gold all throughout them. So I recommend you, you know, if you've just caught onto the podcast to get listening to from, from episode one, essentially. But um, how's things going down there? Not bad. I'm actually, believe it or not, drinking a green smoothie right now. <laughs> that 2% body fat chiseled out of granite prick Kyle Collinsworth guilted me into it. And I'm actually drinking one for, for one. So you win, God. You win. Was that after a few cheeseburgers or before? Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, it, it makes me feel good. It's actually, you know how like those real fancy dinners, you have that like little break in between before the real meal comes. So this is like my little break before the real meal comes. This is your cheat day. So your cheat day is the green smoothie. Most athletes cheat days are the burger. <laughs> yeah, my, my cheat day is any day that ends in Y, brother. Let's get rolling. Uh, we're almost a third through the NBA season. Um, it's been pretty interesting. You know, COVID's throws some curveballs. There's, you know, trades. There's teams that are doing better than I thought and worse than I thought. So I guess we'll just get into the standings. It's pretty interesting. Philly, who I, I thought would have a pretty good year, are number one at the moment. They have had a bit of a cupcake schedule to now because they've played some pretty easy beat teams, especially over the last month or two. They did beat the Lakers recently, but we're st I'm still not completely sold, but I thought they'd be up there somewhere with, with a new coach. Everything else in, in the East is, is, at least in the top five, is, is where it should be. Atlanta's surprising. I didn't think they'd be that high. Cleveland, New York. I mean, basically after Atlanta, it's, it's kind of a free-for-all for, for anybody's game. And I mean, how do you see the East? Yeah, I, it's a little bit unstable now. Like the top five, like you said, was sort of what we thought about. You know, it might be a one or two teams out of order. But um, with Toronto and Miami, I didn't expect to be, you know, bottom of the bottom of the east right now obviously miami getting affected by covid and some injury stuff um you know i think some of this will play itself out i think some of the teams that are playing well like you know maybe like a cleveland or an atlanta or even new york they might they might fall but let's not forget folks they got top 10 make it they have that playing so you know it'll be interesting that who gets the 10 spots but i think i think miami and toronto i mean they're still only about a game and a half out of the playoff right now i mean just the top eight so I think if, you know, those two teams might move, but yeah, it's sort of what we expect up top. Yeah, I mean, one one I got completely wrong was the Washington Wizards. You know, they uh, I thought they'd be better than they were just because of kind of a Russell Westbrook with a, with a chip on his shoulder and Beal coming into his own and healthy. I thought they'd at least, at least be 500, but I mean, if I'm going to put a line through a few teams in the East that I, I can guarantee you won't make it, I mean, the only two I can say are Detroit and Washington at this point. I don't think they have any chance of, of making that um, playoff run, but the Washington Wizards are definitely um, a bit of a letdown in my opinion. Yeah, they definitely are. I mean, I, I think everybody wanted to see that wall trade and, and I thought everyone thought it was be an upgrade with Westbrook and I think they tried the best i mean he got hurt a little bit they got hit with covid it's just not really working out bradley beals having a hall of fame season they're still they're still at the bottom of the barrels you know as far as the eastern team so it'll be interesting what they do go uh they do going going forward but 
Yeah, it's uh, that that definitely took us for a curveball. I would say. Yeah, I had him. I had him in the playoffs just as my dark horse from from last season. If it was the one team I'd pick that didn't make it, that would make it. But that looks like it might be the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks are the Knicks are right in the mix, but. It is kind of all over the place. Charlotte's up and down. Chicago's playing well of late. Um, Orlando's a bit further down than we thought. I mean, but it is early. We are a third in, so no reason to get too excited or down on, on your picks. But um, yeah, I think Detroit and Washington for me, I'll scratch. My guarantees right now that will 100% make the playoffs from the East, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston, Indiana. And beyond that, it's it's a coin flip, I think, from, from six, which is Atlanta, all the way down to Miami, in 13, I think realistically any of those teams could could scrape in. Yeah, um, Indiana will be interesting what happens now with, with you know, with Karras LeVert as far as when he's going to come back because they did trade Oladipo away and, you know, right now he had the kidney surgery and, and I haven't read, maybe you did, about how long it's going to take for his recovery, but, you know, if, if he misses an extended period of time, that's a lot of offense to miss out of their lineup, but... Besides that, I mean, they're a fighting, scrapping group. Nate Bjorken's doing a great job, you know, in his first season. You know, that's the only team I could see sort of slipping out of that top five. But yeah, they slip out of the playoffs though. I don't think they do. I mean, I think they they no, they won't slip out of the playoffs. No, they won't. They're they're a solid five right now, and you know they they would probably stay in at five, four, five, six all season. But now I'm just I'm just interested to see what that Levert, you know, depending on how long it takes him to come back and and how that's going to affect their win total. Solid five. I met a few of those back in the day when I was going to the bars. Good to hear. <laughs> yeah, shit. Go to the West. Much, much of a muchness. I definitely didn't have Utah playing this well this early. Um, they're they're a team that usually have good regular seasons, but they uh, they falter in the playoffs. But they're they're balling right now. Clippers, Lakers, as expected. San Antonio. I mean, at four right now, they've, they've overachieved for sure with that roster. It's a young roster, but they're. Playing well, the Australian Paddy Mills off the bench is is um, filling up buckets for them and just jacking off that bench and giving them a really good punch. Denver's kind of been up and down, but have, have gone a little run as of late. Uh, Memphis, I didn't think would be there. I didn't think they'd be this good, even though they're, what have they played? 13 games, everyone else is around 20, so they've got some catching up to do with, with the COVID stuff. Portland's in the mix, Golden State, we had, um, I had that in my eight, and then, and then Houston, and then I think basically... Everyone in that bottom half was expected besides Dallas. I mean, Dallas is the one. I mean, I know they've had issues with COVID and injuries, but I think every team pretty much has dealt with some something along those lines. And they've they've been pretty disappointing, you know, one third into the season. Yeah, they have. I mean, obviously COVID's top of the list of their problem. And then the second it was Porzingis, you know, starting the season late because of the uh, coming back from knee knee surgery. And then just the the lack of effort defensively, consistent consistent effort defensively from them. I think they're gonna level off and do a lot better, you know, if they could if Porzingis could stay healthy and they could also, you know, obviously stay out of that COVID bug. But I think that um I think it's they've been disappointing uh, you know, up to up to date. Like last night, you watched that game against Utah? Yeah, I did, yeah. Ugly. Yeah, I mean, they just didn't give much effort at all. I, I, you know, I don't want to say they quit or anything, but it, they, their effort level was low, especially defensively. Shot selection, just just jacking up shots. I mean, I think someone said on the te- on the telecast that they're one of the uh, worst teams in the league shooting the three. So they're struggling right now. I expect them to be to battle up. I think they'll make the playoffs and probably in the top five. You know, the lower end of that, of course. But I think that they'll they'll make a comeback in the you know the last three quarters of the season. I think that's a prime example of a of a role player. I think Maxi Kleber is a huge 
very important role player for them. And it just seems like without him, the balance of their 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 kind of rosters kind of being thrown out of whack. And he's he's an underrated defender in my opinion. He's a very very good defender. He can switch you know one through five when they go small ball. Um, I think they they miss a guy like that. He's not a he's not a huge stats guy. He's not a huge imposing figure that you think oh you know they can win games without him. But I think he's been he's been heavily missed mainly at the defensive end, even though he shoots the ball well. I think he's just a solid, intangibles guy you need. No, without question. And, you know, look, they're top three with Luca, Porzingis, and Hardaway. Those guys are wired for offense. I wouldn't say either, you know, any of those three are wired for defense. So you need guys like Richardson, like Dorian Finney-Smith, like Maxi Kleber, like Dwight Powell, guys like that, that, you know, even Will Colley-Stein, which is weird because – when they were going through like their sort of, they had a run where they were pretty good defensively and he had, he played some major minutes. And I know Porzingis was out, but he's sort of been in the bottom of the barrel as far as their rotation in the last, you know, last five or six games. So, um, but I, I agree with you. I think they really miss Maxi. I think they really miss, they missed Dorian Finney Smith and those guys now coming back from COVID. They got to get back into shape and get back into rhythm. I think they'll be good, you know, down the line, but it's just, it's going to take some time and they're really struggling. And now they got to play Phoenix on a back to back tonight in Dallas and Porzingis isn't going to play. So that'll be interesting how that game's going to unfold. And they lost five straight. And a few others. I think they got Golden State coming up as well. They've got a few tough teams coming into town that can that can easily beat them. But um, who are you who are you putting a line through in the West right now? Who can we who can we just throw away for this season? I think you could throw away Minnesota. I think Minnesota's like the only team you could really throw away in that in, in the West because, you know, New Orleans is up and down. I think I think if they acquire some shooting, I think they could still make a, a run for the playoffs. I think OKC will probably fall down on earth a little bit. They've been they've been probably better than expected, but I would probably just say Minnesota for now. What do you think, both? I Minnesota, hundred percent. You know they're four and fourteen as we speak. Um, I think New Orleans, which we'll touch on a bit more in depth later. I, I think I'll put a line through them. Um, hearing from what I'm hearing from from my people over there, it's not a pretty situation. We'll get to that a little bit later. Sacramento is an intriguing one, like Luke Walton, Harrison Barnes, former teammates of mine and, and former coaches, and. They have a pretty talented roster. They just can't seem to, they can't seem to make a run. Like they're 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 kind of like when I was in Milwaukee. You you win two straight and then you lose one and then you win three straight and you lose three straight. It's just the whole season goes along like that. They can just never really find any rhythm. They've won, I think they've won three straight right now. But yeah, it just seems like they just can't get any consistency of, of how to win games. Yeah, they they really can't. I mean, they have a young team, but you know they lost Bogdanovich. They have Harrison Bonds. They've got some, you know, vets that are decent. You know, Buddy Hill's getting a little older, you know, but like Fox is trying to take that next step in his game. Um, they've got some, you know, Bagley's been up and down, but you know, they they still got a they got a ways to go to how to be consistent. And as you know, I think consistency is the the first step into trying to be a winning team. And they don't really, I mean, they really haven't had a winning history there in the last you know decade or so. So I think they're trying to sort of piece it together, but. That, that, that would be an interesting team. I didn't think they were going to do all that well. And, you know, they're only six and a half out of the playoffs. They're only about, you know, they're only about a half game out of that top 10 spot and only a, a game and a half out of eight. So, you know, they're, they're interesting right now. And Houston and Golden State were shockers for me. I thought those two were going to fall off. And, they you know, they're sort of right around the eight spot too. So, you know, there's like a one, two, three. There's like a four-way tie Six, seven, eight, nine with five out of the playoffs. And then you got Houston and OKC and Sack. And as you go down the line, you only have, only got the balls to put three as, as must, as will make it. And that's Utah, 
both LA's, the Clippers and the Lakers. Other than that, it's it's open for yeah. business. It can go it can go either way. And and you know the curveball with this season, not only is, you know injury but COVID. You know it's it's does you know the Spurs lose you know Demar Derozan for ten you know ten fifteen days in a crucial part of the season. Then do they slip out of the out of the eight or the ten? I mean it's. You just don't know um, what's going to happen, and that's I guess that's what's been pretty intriguing about watching it of how how well prepared the coaches of the good teams have their guys to say, hey, it's the next man up mentality, and, and really emphasizing that those teams have generally not not missed a beat. But um, yeah, I'm just interested to see how that how that all plays out. Yeah, I think it's like you know with this season up is down, right is left. You just don't know. It's like bizarro world, right? I mean, with the COVID and. And, and, you know, how the season started and all that. You just don't know. And like you said, it's a next man up mentality. You got to be prepared. I think the organizations that are strong from top to bottom that you know, sort of have control over things have, has, you know, have players that are bought into like not going out as much, you know, not being exposed as much, trying to keep out of COVID's way, out of, out of harm's way that way. I mean, it's, it's really hard because you got to depend on the whole organization from top to bottom to be, to sort of, you know, we talked about COVID all the time in the NBA in the last few shows, and you, know, you got to really be diligent about this. And you know, some organizations can do it, some can't. And you know, it's a, it's, it's, you, like you said, you can only put a few teams in, almost a guaranteed playoff, and everything else is going to be depending on COVID and injury. Yeah, and explain to explain to everyone listening how does how is this um, playing game working? So it's top ten goes through, and how does that work? So how I I, I read it tonight, it's a it's a strange deal. So top six make it, you know, they're in. Okay. And then seven seven plays eight, and then nine plays ten. Seven and eight play one game. Nine and ten play one game. And then the winner of nine ten plays eight. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, they play eight. They play they play the loser of seven eight. Yep. And then the and then yeah, I don't really exactly know how it goes from there, but I know 7-8 plays one game, 9-10 plays one game, and then the winner plays the loser from each of those games. And then, like, um, from there, I think the higher seeds got to win one game to get in, and then, the, the, like, the lower seeds, they got to play, they got to win two games to get in. So th- they become 7-8. and eight. So out of those, two teams are going to get eliminated to become 7-8. and eight. So... I was trying to read up on it. Um, I, I, I sort of know how it goes, but not exactly. But it's a sort of a weird deal as far as how they're doing it this year. Obviously, they're changing up the playoff format. Yeah, it's interesting why why they would do that. I guess COVID is the excuse to try new shit. But um, the NBL is doing something similar with a, a mid-season hub-type tournament, which has, you know, it counts towards the regular season, but also counts as its own individual cup with prize money. So I guess this is a... A good time to try new stuff if you're going to try it because you've got an excuse to do it. Absolutely, you know, and that's the NBA's mo the last few years. They're trying to do more things, especially since Silver took over. That you know, they've been trying a lot of new things. You know, since he's taken over the last few years, and this is unlike any other year as well. Just trying to try new stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Let's get on to the Utah Jazz. They're balling. Good friend and teammate of mine, former teammate Joe Ingles. Congratulations, he passed John Stockton for I believe all time three point makes in franchise history, which is pretty impressive considering he's only been in the league since 2014, I believe, and and playing vital minutes since then. But they're I guess they're the anti-small ball as much as you can get these days. They still go small at times, but they 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 generally have a traditional center out there at all times. Rudy obviously is not going to shoot a shot outside of three feet, and they're 
and they're fourteen and four, you know, fifteen and four right now. So I mean, have you have you seen their season? You know, can they? I mean, can they go deeper than you know the second round? Well, they're fun. I mean, they're a fun team to watch. They have a real traditional center, um, even though they do have a traditional center and they don't play small ball a lot. They, you know, they. They top three in the league in three-point t- attempts, and they're bottom three in the league in two-point attempts. So they're still jacking up threes, but there's they play with the center. You know, he protects the rim. He runs and rebounds. Uh, they move the ball. It's sort of like watching a high-level EuroLeague team. I don't mean that by any disrespect. It's just a, a fun team to watch because they move the ball. You know, they got guys like Bogdanovich and Ingles that, you know, they're not the most athletic players in the world, but they play slow, but they play really smart. And they move the ball. They got Donovan Mitchell, who's their one superstar. They don't really have a superstar after that. They remind me of that, you know, sort of like that Dallas Maverick team in 2011, that Detroit Piston team that won it um, – you know, like 20 years ago when they had like Chauncey Billups and those guys, one superstar, a bunch of really hard-nosed players after that. The only thing bogues to me in the playoffs, and it's going to be a problem, I think, for them. when they, I think they can win a round or two, no problem. But when you start getting to conference final and final, I think you need multiple superstars and guys that could really carry the mail. And that's going to put a lot of, you know, that's going to put a lot of weight on Jordan Clarkson's shoulders to come off the bench. He's averaging about 18 a game right now, and he's killing it. But in the playoffs, you know how we talked about last week, how playoff teams are going to like game to game, make those changes and try to take Donovan Mitchell out of it. You're going to rely a lot on the three and you're going to rely a lot on Jordan Clarkson. The problem is for the only problem that I see with them after, after about eight guys they really fall off as far as star power, as far as firepower. Once you get past like Clarkson and, and those guys, like then you get, get players like Derek Favors, Georges Yang. They don't really have, you know, a lot of firepower after that. Not that many teams do, but like I saw this like with the Tibbs when he coached Chicago when he had Derek Rose before he got hurt when they played in the Eastern Conference Finals against uh, Miami. When they had LeBron and those guys, and and they punched Miami in the mouth with Derrick Rose early in the playoffs, and then they just swallowed up Derrick Rose, and, and Chicago really didn't have. They had like Rip Hamilton and Boozer, and you know Joakim Noah. They didn't really have another guy to really carry the mail. I just worry about that deep in the playoffs, having that firepower to really you know consistently win in the playoffs with that. How do you see it? Yeah, I think I think they can get close. I think, like you said, their ball movement. Is beautiful to watch. The ball doesn't stick, and it's you can see it's goes to Ingles. Do I have an open shot? No, swing it straight away. It's that quick decision. It's not you know you see a lot of teams these days. You know someone will create a double team and, and kick it out to a guy, and then if he hesitates for that one second about oh do I swing it? Do I do I put it on the floor? Or do I shoot it? It's over. That that advantage you have for a split second is over. Where the Jazz, it's it's quick simple decision. Wide open, nope. Someone's closing me out. Swing, swing, swing. Wide open shot. But you're right. I mean in the playoffs, the deeper you get, as we spoke about last. Last week, it's it becomes a grind out half court game at times, especially through different periods of different quarters, may, may, mainly late, and especially in the fourth quarter. Like it's it's very hard to to run and move the ball that efficiently because everything's a grind out possession. So I think you're right to an extent. Donovan's gonna have a lot of it on his shoulders, Clarkson as well. But you know it's gonna have to be Angles or Bogdanovich. Uh, you know it's it's gonna have to be one of those guys. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, they play great. They play tough. I really like Royce O'Neal. He's really developed into a, a, a you know a very good starting player in the league. Um, he's improved his shooting. You know they've they've got uh, Mike Conley's a you know a warrior. 
They they got they got a great just team chemistry. And look, Donovan Mitchell, you know, is out for the both games against Dallas, and they they kill him both games. They destroyed him. So it is a next man up mentality. Quinn Snyder's a really good coach. I mean, they look like they play together. It's just in the playoffs when you got to play like the Lakers and you got LeBron and Anthony Davis, and then they got a slew of other guys. Uh, can they really do it against a team like that? I think they can win definitely around. They could definitely win two. But once they get to the Western Conference Finals, and if they get to the finals, I think it's going to be really hard. Like, like I think Miami found that out against uh, LA in the finals last year, where like they they zipped through the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, but then they didn't have enough star power, enough firepower. Shot making is great, but unless you have elite shot making like Golden State with you guys did a few years back, it's really hard to be consistent shot makers throughout the whole playoffs. And the other thing with Utah being number one, their home court really doesn't come into play. So, I mean, there is a bit of an altitude there, which can be, I think, more in a regular season when you're not acclimatized with being there for a couple of days, it can get you. But in a playoff series, you come in two or three days before and it doesn't really get you as much. But also that those fans in Utah are fantastic fans that create a really hostile environment. So even if they finish first, they'll probably lose a little bit because of the COVID thing. They'll only be allowed to probably have 25, 30% capacity. So that'll be one to watch. We'll keep an eye on that. Bradley Beal situation. What have you got for me for the trade, uh, trade rumors around that where uh, we know in the NBA, one stuff starts going to the media where there's smoke, there's fire. What do you have? Well, yeah, I mean, he's been pretty good. He reminds me of Paul Pierce when Paul, right before Boston made the trade in 2008. You know, the team was just just teams a very bad team. They don't really have a lot going on in their roster, you know, and now you've got a situation where it's hitting the media, you know, free Bradley Beal and all this. And I think Washington's tried. I mean, look, they they got they got off of Walls money and, you know, they they brought in Westbrook and it just doesn't really work so far. You know, and when you're trying to put these trades together, you know, because you've seen a thousand of them. I, I, I researched like three or four for the last three or four days about all these trades that people are thinking that that they're going to do for Bradley Bill. Well, first of all, you got to understand this. Just because you go to ESPN trade machine and, and the trade works doesn't mean it's a trade that could actually happen. So when you're trying to figure these trades out, you got to figure out, A, does it work for both teams? B, what types of trades have been made for for players like Bradley Beal in the last couple of years? So you got to go back to the Harden trade. You got to go back to, you know, Chris Paul originally getting traded a couple of years ago. You got to go to trades like that, Westbrook getting traded, the Paul George trade. What of like, what's the common theme? Because you know how NBA teams, they just follow what's going on. So what the teams have been getting back in these me- mega deals are you could go three ways of the trade. You can go player for player. Like a lot of people are saying, well, they'll, you know, they'll make a trade for a major player like Ben Simmons. Well, right now, Bradley Bale, in my opinion, is like the 15th best player in the league. You get the 15th best player in the league and he's averaging 34 points a game and you're the worst team in the East, one of the worst teams in the league. So by getting another player, you're, you know, they're spending over $100 million in salary this year and next year. They can't really make a move. So if you go player for player, that's not really helping you. You're not going anywhere. So I think the deal has to be for a boatload of picks and pick swaps and either a young, you know, either a young player or just get, get your picks. So in my opinion, I think he's going to be dealt. I think this thing, these things never go well. I don't, he, look, he hasn't been, he hasn't said anything 
He has it motioned towards it, but you know how this is going to go. Once it starts, once that little boulder goes over the over the cliff, it starts turning into an avalanche real quick. How many years? And is I he think left that on his contract, he's got two. He's got two years left. So he's got he's got this year, and then he's got a player option for ne- uh, for next year. Well, I, he's got two additional after this one. So he's at twenty eight eight this year. He's got thirty four five in two thousand twenty one twenty two, and then he's got a player option for thirty seven three. So the number is actually pretty good to trade. It's twenty eight eight. You don't have to come up with a lot of capital to get the trade done. You know, right now they got one hundred and thirty two million to spend in salary. Next year is about one hundred and nineteen million. So they can't really make a move. So I think he's going to get traded. I think I, I I thought up with three trades that I think is pretty efficient for them. What they're trying to do. I think the first trade I would look for is I would look for the New Orleans. New Orleans made that trade with LA. They've got, you know, they got a bunch of uh, draft picks in the in the Anthony Davis uh trade with with LA and I and they got their own picks. They they need shooting desperately. They actually put together a pretty good team in the last couple of years with Ingram and Adams and Zion. But they need shooting, and they need a they need another superstar to go with Ingram and, and Zion to try to you know, try to do something. They're a little bit desperate, in my opinion, to try to make that work. Their season's sort of teetering a little bit, so I think that you could you know you need you need to you need salary to make the deal work. So you probably have to throw in JJ Redick. You got to do Lonzo Ball, and probably six picks between draft picks and pick swaps. Where you can get about three draft picks and three pick swaps, so you, you could have action in the next six years of of, of drafts. Where, where every other year you get their pick, and then you could pick swap um, every other year if your pick if their pick's better than yours. So I think I think their asking price has to be at least six or s- like three or four first rounders, and or three or four pick swaps to go around with it. So I'm thinking either JJ and Ball. With Ball, you get. You know, you get a starter, a solid starter. He hasn't really, you know, he, he really hasn't lived up to his hype in, in the draft, but he is a solid starter. He's just not someone you can really depend on to really do a lot for you, but he could play for you. JJ's, you know, he's probably having the worst year of his career this year, but his 13 million will make the will make the deal, you know, help make the deal work. And then Ball, you could probably re-sign. It's his last year of his deal, so you could probably do a cap-friendly extension. And then you have your picks. You know, and then you could probably even throw in a, another young player like a Jackson Hayes or that kid Alexander, who who are pretty good young players. And I think for New Orleans, they got to do something to acquire a really good player. And I think they're going to open up about twenty million in cap room next year, but you're not going to get anything for twenty million. You're going to get a vigilante. You're going to get a guy you have to overpay. You know, and I think that ha- getting a chance to acquire Ball for a bunch of draft picks. I mean, Ball, yeah, Beal for a j- bunch of draft picks. And a couple of players that you really aren't using that, you know, to that, that's not really helping you all that much. I think that's, that's sort of a, a trade you might, might want to look at. Yeah, I the agree. Second I mean, deal. I think Washington. Okay, I'm sorry. Both. Yeah, no, I think Washington just, yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think um, they should just blow it up, essentially. I mean, there's no point trying to get back players that you think are going to help you win now. I think it's, get a young ball. For Beal and a bunch of picks, I think is your best case scenario. I just don't, you know, I just don't see them getting you know, wanting to get a superstar back, it's going to be a straight rebuild for Washington. What else you got? Yeah, the the one other one I have that's interesting, it, it was my third trade, but it's most interesting to Golden State. Now, Golden State has Minnesota's pick next year in this year's draft. Just protected, right? It's protected. 
top three protected. So they'll get it if it's four to 30. And then if it doesn't go and it's protected, they get it. You know, I think the protection is a little levied off next year is, you know, but they get, they get a top pick. Golden State's going to have a decent pick probably somewhere in the, in the teens, you know, and I, and they, and I would ask them for Wiseman. So you would do Ubre to make the money work. That's 14 million. Then you get, you know, Wiseman and then you get Golden State's pick and then that Minnesota pick. Now, Golden State would pay probably more luxury tax than anyone else in the history of the game, but they'll have now another superstar to go with Curry, Thompson, Green, you know, and Draymond. They have the firepower. You know, people are going to want to see that, that, that in action. Wiseman's a really good player, but you're getting Bradley Beal, who will probably be a high-level player for the next, what, five years. I think, it, I think for Golden State, it sort of re-energizes them. And then they'll have to give up Wiseman and a pick. Like, I don't see that pick really helping Golden State in the next couple of years. It's going to be a, 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 you know, it's going to be a developmental project. So in my opinion, that that wouldn't be a bad one. It's a hard one for Golden State because they're in a position where they're, they're not, they're not in a rebuild yet, but they're getting close. I mean, those guys, Steph, Clay, even Draymond, all early thirties, um, getting up there in age. So you'd, you'd argue that. You know, Steph will Steph and Clay, especially Clay coming off an injury, but Steph especially, a couple of probably two or three more years at a high level, playing high thirties. You know, um, with with the amount of usage that he has, still will be very efficient in his mid to late thirties because the way he shoots the ball. So, but they're in that period where they're stuck in the middle of like, do we, you know, do we make that deal for Beal and kind of give up on Wiseman and, and the younger part of the roster? Or do we stand pat and develop Wiseman and try to keep building towards getting back to the top with with a young group? So they're in a tough position, in my opinion, because I think you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you're in their situation. I don't think there's a right decision for them um, going down the track. But that'd be an interesting one. It would definitely re-energize things in the Bay Area for sure. But I'm just not sure if they, you know, do they, do they get off Wiseman that quickly? I mean, it's you know, he's developed pretty well so far, but. I, I just know fans out there can can be somewhat impatient considering the success they've had, and I think Wiseman on a bad team right now would probably look much better statistically on a team that didn't have you know Steph and Draymond and that wasn't so three point orientated. You know, if you put Wiseman, you know, with Washington right now, essentially, I think his numbers would be much much better um, because everything would be going through him. Yeah, and it reminds me of Minnesota and Cleveland when Cleveland. We're going to get, you know, Cleveland got the first pick. They drafted Wiggins and then they got LeBron. They got LeBron and then they traded Wiggins to get love just to sort of give them more firepower. I sort of see it like that. Like, look, you know, they have plenty of time. They have plenty of time to rebuild this thing. And those rebuilds sometimes take a long time to do. I mean, look at every team besides like San Antonio when you're talking about rebuilding. You know, the Mavericks won it in 2011. They still haven't won a playoff series since. LA took a big dive after, you know, after probably their last time, they, they won the title in 2010, you know, they had a decent team in 11, and then they just sort of dismantled it in like 12, 13, like, and it takes a while for them to get back. It took them like seven years of, you know, six, seven years of being very mediocre. So I think that you go for it. Bradley Bale's 27. Um, you know, you're giving up Wiseman, yes, but Bradley Bale could take you past when you m- move off of things that they're going to try to move off of. I mean, you still get five to six good years of Bradley Beal. So, you know, I, I think that that's a, you know, acquiring a player in the top 20 usually don't, 
you don't have the chance to do that. And I think by giving up, giving up some things, I think it would be, it'd be very beneficial. And the, the other, only other team I could see them really making a deal with, and I'm sure that there are a million pinball wizards that could get, you know, come up with three team, four team trades. I'm not going to do that, but the New York Knicks, the New York Knicks is one of the only teams that actually have cap room. So you don't have to take back a lot of salary with them. I would probably ask them for, now they got some picks from Dallas in the Porzingis trade. They've got their own picks. So, I mean, I would probably ask him for Mitchell Robinson, who's still in his rookie deal. Knox, who's still in his rookie deal. And, and like, just to throw in like a Dennis Smith with his $5 million to make the deal work. Plus, again, another three first-round picks, another four first-round picks with, with pick swaps as well. And I think for New York, they need a superstar. They need somebody... You know, they need somebody who could sort of carry the mail. I know they're doing really well. They could put Beal with Randall and, and the rest of some of the other guys they have going. And, you know, and I think they could sort of get something going there. New York will probably want to do the deal. And they got a bunch of draft picks. And the draft picks won't be great. But, again, there'll be picks. They'll, you got a starting center in Robinson. You got a, a, you know, a good rotation player in Knox who sort of have had a probably a pretty rough year and a half in his career, but has some potential out of the draft a couple years back. And you just get those picks. I, I think for Washington, picks and young players are the way to go if you're going to make this deal. And that's my opinion, folks. How, how do you see it on a player's perspective? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's... Look, it's just it's, it's a hard one. I think the Knicks thing, you know, Mitch, <laughs> Mitch Robinson will get his chance to show us that he'll be allowed to, to show what he can do. What, what was the tweet? He tweeted... Um, can't wait to get the chance to, yeah. to show what I can do or, or give him the opportunity or something like that was along those lines. Yeah, he's, he wants more opportunity like every other NBA player, but he's limited, but he's he blocks shots, he rim runs, and he rebounds. And in this world of, of three-pointers and layups, like he plays a traditional center. He doesn't space because he's, he's like Zion. He doesn't you – know, like the charge circles his three-point line because he can't shoot past three feet. And he's not really all that skilled offensively, but he runs, he offensive rebounds, he rolls to the rim, he's a lob threat, and he's got decent size, and he's still under a rookie deal. And that's the biggest thing for Washington. You're trying to trying to shed salary, you're trying to get picks, you're trying to develop your picks. Because right now, the the um for Washington, besides the two guys that get up top with um with Bill, you know, with Bill and, and Westbrook. You're only really looking at Hachimura, the kid from Gonzaga, the Japanese kid. Yeah. That's that's a pretty good starter. He's like 13 and 5. And then the kid they drafted, Denny Ajiva. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like 7 and 4. He's not bad. He's a decent starter. You know, and I really like Bertans, but besides that, Thomas you really Bryant's don't have bad. anything. Yeah, I mean Thomas Bryant. Yeah, too. and he, he yeah. Okay. He just he tore his knee up too. He's out for the year. So yeah. I think second time. I think he tore one. I think he tore it in college too. Actually, so one other one for, for the Wizards situation. Is there any chance they just they just throw all the toys out of the cot and, and move Bill and try to move Westbrook? I don't see anyone taking Westbrook with that contract. But is there any no. chance they just well, say screw it? Let's just blow this thing up completely. We're not getting fans to games anyway, <laughs> so no one's going to be too angry. Yeah. So for the Westbrook deal, and if you looked at it, like when. You know, when Oklahoma City wanted to get off off Chris Paul because they, they want to shed they want to shed salary and just go younger. And then when um you know, when you're trying to shed a player like that with a really big contract, you know, same thing, you know, same thing with other players that are just like Westbrook's a good player, but he's an aging he's an aging 
uh, aging superstar, I guess you call him. And he doesn't have many great years left. He's got a lot of mileage on him. You're going to have to give up at least a pick, if not two, probably two picks to get off his salary. You know, he's got a couple of years left after this one as well with a player option. So you're probably going to have to deal a couple of picks. You're not really going to get anything back ex- except expiring contract for him or just, you know, or just like that wall Westbrook trade where you're just getting one guy for another. So I would, I would probably try to do that, but it's going to cost you the, the so that's why getting a boatload of picks in the Bradley Beal trade, you could probably turn a couple of picks into this Westbrook trade if you're going to deal Westbrook and say, yeah, let's get off of it. I would get off both of them, get your picks, get off Westbrook, because I don't think Westbrook wants to go through a rebuild. Let him go to another team that has a chance to sort of do something and just give that team a couple of picks and, and bring back their their unwanted contracts or, or their expiring deals. And then just sort of make it work that way. Maybe take on a guy and just cut him and stretch out his contract. And then just go with these picks and go with your young guys right now and try to do something. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. Um, hopefully he ends up on a team that's going to the playoffs. It'll be nice to see him get to the playoffs. That's Beal I'm talking about and, and see how that goes. But moving on to the Pelicans. I mean, they're, they're, they're in a tough spot. They're in they're, uh, they're kind of in no man's land. They're, they're half young few veterans as we've discussed with the with the you know the, the potential trade that you put forward i mean they're, they're kind of all over the place I've, I've got some pretty good intel van gundy's going nuts shocker three hour practices two hour shoot arounds now for, for people out there <laughs> shoot arounds generally go for 50 minutes max that's a game day morning session for a night game practices in season you're probably on the court for an hour hour and a half uh, maybe an hour of a team session and then 30 40 minutes of your own shooting and then you're out of there so He's got guys on their legs. He's, he's frustrated. They are one of the one of the few teams defensively that seems to pack the paint at all costs and give up threes, late contest threes, where the game's moved kind of away from that. It seems like Stan's kind of stuck in the early two thousands mentality of, of coaching, and and it just I just I'm waiting for something to implode there, and that could be that trade. Yeah, I mean they're you know they've got an interesting team. You know they they've got so much into Zion. They just extended Ingram. They extended Adams, and, but like with Van Gundy, right? Like you knew what you were getting. You know that's the thing. Like when you're hiring a coach, you hired the coach. You knew what you were getting. You're getting an old school guy that you know is a little moody, and he's gonna go hard. He's gonna you know you're gonna practice a lot. You're gonna it's sort of like getting tips. Like those guys don't change. So you knew what you were getting. Now on the other end, he gets you organized. He gets your guys playing hard. He's a really good teacher. But that team, we talked about it countless times here. They just don't have enough spacing. If JJ Reddick's not making shots right now, yeah, and Ingram and Ball, like Ball had a huge night the other night. I don't think he had a like the other night he had like thirty five or something. I don't think he had thirty five since high school. You know, I, I just don't like he's not going to do that for you every night. He's just not built like that. So. You need something. And I think trying to get Bradley Beal and whatever it's going to take to get Bradley Beal, because like I said, they did a pretty good job restructuring deals and they're going to get off some money this year to get about $20 million or so in, in, in cap room. That's before the uh, Lonzo Ball extension that they haven't extended him yet. So for me, I'll, draw, I'll throw any picks, any amount of picks to get Bradley Beal right now because you're not going to acquire an all-star there. It's just not going to happen. Zion doesn't shoot the ball. He he can't shoot the ball from three. 
you know, and you just don't have enough consistency to spread that court out. Steven Adams gives you a huge rebounding advantage. He gives you an advantage on the floor, but sort of disadvantage with your spacing, having Zion and Adams on the floor at the same time. Ingram's a really good player. They got a couple of decent young players, nothing great with Nicole Alexander. And then, you know, the kid Jackson Hayes is decent, but just not enough. I think acquiring acquiring Beal is is something that I would really try to do because I'm, I'm sure Dallas is going to try to acquire Beal at some point. I just don't think Dallas has enough assets to give up uh, to make that trade happen, to put Will Luker and Porzingis. They're going to need to make a deal, I think, to sort of get this thing going right because you know how it's going to go. Van Gundy's going to start getting pissed. Got, you know, t- players will start getting a little frustrated tuning him out if they start losing. But they had a really good win the other night. Who they beat Milwaukee last yeah, night? Yeah, and I'm looking at the stats. I mean, uh, Ball had 27, not 35, but he was 7 for 13 from three. They shot 48 threes they shot that game, which is amazing for them. Jeez. They were 21 for 48 and shot 43% from three. And there was a critique from Ingram about a week ago that I read that he he basically came out and said, we don't we don't shoot enough threes. Like we're, we're losing games because we don't get enough threes up compared to the rest of the teams we're playing against. And that's the, the curveball with them is if they shoot the ball they, like that, even one out of five, they're gonna they're gonna win that game guaranteed because you got you got some animals down there in Stephen Adams and Zion just putting heat on the rim and physicality. That if you if you can just kind of relax that defense a little bit with some three point shooting, you end up being one of the best teams in the league. So I agree with you there. I mean, they just they just got to figure it out. And uh, I just yeah, the, the Van Gundy thing. I just know being, being a former player, those three hour practices and the you know it's gonna take legs from guys and they're just gonna they're gonna splutter at the end of the season if that's if that's what's going on there from. A pretty good source you know it's it's hard to do that in this day and age with with kind of all the travel and everything going on and i mean i had a coach like that in milwaukee scott skiles we had you know if we had bad losses we'd practice for hours on end and a lot of times you'd have guys kind of more banged up from practice than than from um from games yeah i agree and and i think you have to read you sort of have to read your team you know this is a this is a, a you know you got a lot of sensitive guys in that roster. You got a lot of guys that sort of probably ain't you know ain't dancing that type of music. So those three hour practice things that, and I think you only have a certain amount of bullets in your gun to really pull things like that throughout the season. And I, I don't think that they're going to really deal with it. Like I know Zion, from my information, shut off the last staff. You know when things started. You know he, I, you don't want that to happen again here with him and, and some of those other guys. Ingram's got his money now, so he might be having a little bit of a different sort of outtake on things, you know, once those guys get extensions. So they got to make a move. I, I I definitely expect them to be pretty aggressive at trade deadline and see what happens. Yep. Moving on to a new segment we've got, Fact or Fake News. So we're, we're just going to do a couple of quick hitters. We're going to try to take 30 seconds each, Pro. I know it's going to be hard for you. But we're going to try. Um, the first one, Lakers will go back-to-back. Back. Go. All right, Lakers going back-to-back. Back. I see them having a chance to go back-to-back back just because the upgrades they made in the offseason. Those guys, they're sort of messing with the game sometimes. They're just not all that motivated in some games. I get it. But I, I just think in the end, they have the stop power. The one thing that's holding them back last year, having Rajon Rondo take the ball out of, out of LeBron's hands and having that equity with that team to be able to do that, I don't know if Schroeder has has enough to do that with LeBron, and I think they're going to need to do that to really go through the playoffs and, and be as successful as they were last year. So I think they will, so but fact. I think that there are a couple of you got fact. Yeah. I'm fact too. I think they. I think they. They're the team to beat. Um, they. They are coasting right now, like most championship teams. They're having that 
that kind of mid-season, quarter-season hangover where they're just kind of trotting along, making sure they get enough wins to be somewhere up the top at the end of the season. But, you know, the LeBron story, it's all feel-good. They want, you know, people want him to go back-to-back and he'll he'll get that extra oomph, I think, to, to get there, which follows up. Fact or fake news, LeBron will be the MVP. I'm going to say fake news. Oh, wow. I'm going to say fake news. I'm going to go Luka Doncic as the MVP this year. Well, they need to, make the, they need to get in the no. 10 first. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I take that back. I'm going to go with Kevin Durant as the MVP this year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I think the year he's having, the impact he's having on the game, I think I'm going to go with Kevin Durant. He's having a hell of a year. I think they're going to be good enough. Remember, they don't supposed to, you know, wink, wink. They don't supposed to vote on the playoffs. They just do the regular season. I think those guys are going to really have a great, you know, great regular season at least. And I think that, you know, the numbers he's putting up are pretty good. So I think I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Kevin Durant. Well, I'm going with the fact. I think he, LeBron will win it. I think the story around his aging body, I think he's doing very, very well for his age. We'll put that down to the million dollars he supposedly spends on on his body. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. I think I just think that he's planted the seed last season with the media. I know there's a lot of media that are in Clutch's pocket and vice versa that will vote for him. Based on that, he will, I think he, and he's deserving. Look, he's, I'm not saying he's not deserving. Don't get me wrong. You know, but he's, I think he's got a bit more push politically than Luca and Giannis. I don't think Giannis gets it again. Um, and I think LeBron will get it because it'll be that feel-good story the NBA wants. Moving on, fact or fake news. Now let's let's start with a fact or a fake, Mike. You know you don't need to go in. I think they will. It's fact or fake, motherfucker. So Mavs <laughs> won't ma- Mavs won't make the playoffs. Oh, that's fake news. They'll make the playoffs. They'll make the playoffs again. They got COVID. They're dealing with. You know they had Porzingis. Hopefully, he could stay healthy. I, I think they'll get them right, but they got to start playing defense. They start. They got to start. You know, they got to start being dedicated to defense more than three games at a time. They got to really do that, or they're going to have they're going to have some problems. But look, there's a lot of schedule to be played. They've got an MVP candidate. You know, they've got good role players that are back from their COVID stuff. They're going to start getting in shape. I, I think they're going to be in the playoffs. What about you? Yeah, I think fake news. I think they'll be in the playoffs. I think the 10 helps them as well because <laughs> um, it only leaves, you know, gives you two extra spots with the, with the playing game. But yeah, I think they'll make it. I think their roster's too talented. Pazingas is coming on kind of a bit slower than they thought. But if they can get everyone healthy, um, yeah, they should be. They should be a top six, top five team, in my opinion. So next one, fact or fake news, Bucks don't make the conference finals. That's that's fact. I, I Again, I think that I think – their bench isn't as good as it was. Giannis with the shooting is too inconsistent. I think that you know there's there's some good teams up top in the East. I just think that that lack of shooting, lack of go-to move, uh, the free throws is just going to come back to haunt them in the, with the bench. I, I just I don't see it happening for them. What about you? Fact. I think um, I think they don't make the conference finals. I think they I think they had a better team last season, top to bottom. And I think, um, you know, that just seemed to have a better balance. I, I think Holiday is an upgrade on Bledsoe, in my opinion. But I think when you look at the roster balance from top to bottom, I think they were better last season. So I will go fact. Last one, fact or fake news, Brooklyn don't make the finals. Um, I think that is, oof. They do not make the finals. It's fact or fake news. What you got? I'm going to go with fact. They do not make the finals. I think that 
right now their 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 bench isn't deep enough. I think there's going to be a lot of good teams in the East, especially at that time of year. Um, I think I don't think they're going to make it. I I don't think they defend. I think they just have too many issues. I think they're going to do really well in the regular season. They can win a couple of rounds, but I think in the, in the, by the conference final, I, I think they're going to wear out. I, I don't think they're going to have enough. What do you think? I'm t- I'm torn. It's a, it's a hard one. I think with a lot of these big threes, it usually takes a year. If you look at history, it takes a year, a little bit of a revamp in the off season, and then you. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! You gave me shit, <laughs> motherfucker! You gave me shit, motherfucker! I haven't answered yet. I haven't uh, answered I, yet. I haven't answered yet. Uh, I'll go. Go ahead, answer. I'll go fake news. They'll make it. I think oh, okay. That, I think three. I think we've seen now they had um, they've had one of the big three miss the last few games. One of them's on a rotation to get rest or whatever it is, and they're still balling. They are a little thin. I think DeAndre is actually a good five man for their system. I think he fits in well. Physical rebounds doesn't need the ball. Obviously, COVID and, and injuries will play a big part. But I'll, I'll go. For, I'll go fake news. I think they will make the finals. I think seeing what KD did when he came back from that that strained Achilles when he came back for that twelve minute spurt against Toronto, <laughs> that was <laughs> one of the most amazing performances I've seen. And they don't need him to do that every minute of the game and every every game. But you know, when when the when the nuts are on the line, you need a bucket. He's going to get it for you. Yeah, you know, and the way I gambled in college and how many, how much, lo- you know, how many times I lost and the way I lost, I would just go, whatever I say, Bogues, just say the fucking opposite and you're going to go, you're going to go home, a fucking rich man. Well, I'm one I, of the worst gamblers. I had Washington pick, picked in the, in the fucking playoffs. He killed me. <laughs> Angry Russ that's killed me. That's a good me. point. Move on to the NBL real quick. I'm, I'm not sure if you followed it too much, but if you haven't, that's all right. But um, in my opinion, it's Melbourne United and the rest. They're, they're clear first. They signed young kid named Jock Landale who was playing in Lithuania. He was kind of fringe NBA guy. He had a call up ready to go last season and COVID hit. He's a very good young player. Went to St. Mary's. Chris Goulding, who's a you've dealt with a little bit when you're with the Mavs. Um, they've got a very, very good, overly talented, the most talented team on paper, the, the highest paid team. They're, you know, mo- the most salaries. I think they're over the cap a little bit, paying some, some tax probably, but they're number one, and then I think it's a free-for-all after that. I think I really don't know who's going to make it to top four here in Australia. There's nine teams. One of the teams that was really good last season, Cairns, they're now one and five, which is very, very surprising. They lost a guy named um, DJ Newble, who who was an intangible 3 and D guy, could put on the floor a little bit. They lost him because you could only have two imports. They kept Machado and Cam Oliver, and they've been horrible um, as a team. The, the, their imports are getting their numbers, but they're not. I've watched a few of their games. They're not. Not looking at anything, looking kind of like the Mavs, to be honest, right now. They're not playing any defense and they're just trying to outscore guys and they just don't have enough to do it. So the Illawarra Hawks are a team that finished bottom of the table last season and, and they they are 4-0 with a new coach, NBA legend Brian Gorgian, who's come back to Australia. They've been really fun to watch. They've got that young kid, um, not sure if you know him, Justinian Jessup from uh, Boise, Boise State pro. Um, lefty, Golden State having- I heard he's pretty good. Golden State have his draft rights. Very young, still very young and learning the game, but he's got size for a shooter. He battles. He's got a high basketball IQ and he's got a wet ball. Like he's got, he actually, you know, teams here are basically topping him off everything. They're making him go to the basket on everything. They're not giving him any space and he's still finding space to hit, you know, step back threes, creating space for his threes. He's hitting, you know, I thought more as a young fellow, he'd have that feet set three down and then and then he'd figure out the rest. But 
you know, he doesn't look like missing when he shoots the ball. And I think he, I, I honestly think he could find time for the Warriors right now. I think he's young, he's learning the game, but they need shooters down there in Golden State. And, and he could, he could, you could put him in the corner, you're not leaving him. So he would, he would really help their offense from that point of view. So I've been really surprised with how, how well he shoots the ball. So I have no doubt that he'll be over there at, at some capacity eventually. New Zealand Breakers, Horror start for them. They're one of the favorites to make the four. Few people picked them to win the championship. They're 0-2 at the moment. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of wide open. It's going to be real interesting for a lot of teams getting into that hub where it's a lot of games in a short amount of time for that cup, which will then count towards your regular season wins and losses. So I'll be watching that one closely. Hopefully you can get some games in down the track. For sure. Um, have you heard anything about COVID uh, testing or, or you know, any cases or anything like that as far as what they're dealing with in the league? No, nah, look, keep in mind in Australia, I think we're at 100, low 100s for cases countrywide. So we have, we have nothing compared to you guys. The only cases we're getting really is from international travelers bringing it in, but they're, they're I think they're doing a better job with making sure those those people don't pass it on to other people while they're in hotel quarantine. So we haven't really had any issues. There's there's been I think there was a game today actually cancelled. New Zealand the New Zealand Breakers was supposed to fly to Perth yesterday, and they had a few people actually get sick on the New Zealand Breakers with the flu. I don't know if it was COVID, but out of precaution they cancelled that game. So New Zealand did not travel, and they stayed in Adelaide where they played their last game and. So they're, they're trying to do the, the best they can. There is a lot of rules with the government. There's been some mask mandates for bench players in certain states, but other states not. So it's kind of NBL is actually doing the best they can right now to manage kind of all the moving parts. And same as the NBA, it's just you just don't know what's going to happen between state to state and governors and premiers and presidents and prime ministers. It kind of it just changes the drop of a hat. And you just got to be ready to do it. Yeah, you know that Golden State kid. It just gets me thinking that how much of a good developmental system that NBA teams can have sending some guys that they draft that they don't want to bring in to Australia better than sending them to China better than Europe because they could play minutes the games are way better to play in the NBL than in the D League you've seen those D League games I would I would send every kid I could over here um yeah I mean people think I'm biased the reason why is not only for the basketball it's going to toughen you up you're in a different country all right we speak English but it's still a different culture. There's still different things you got to learn along the way. It's, it's you know, different norms, different day-to-day, different level of refereeing, different level of physicality, you know, different styles of play. Like there's a lot of teams here that pick up full court, they trap, they half court trap, kind of that kind of high school college type atmosphere with, with junky defenses at times. So I think it's phenomenal. And I think it, it punches you in the face as a young fella and gives you a lot of gives you some adversity, which you want. You want your young draft picks coming over here. I mean, Didi Lazada is a prime example who we have at the Kings. He's a, a draft and stashed by the Pelicans and he's had, he's had some good games, but he's, he's struggling. He's, he's, he's got hurt a fair bit um, and he's, he's, he's facing that adversity where he's, gotta, he's now got to punch through that and get to that, that next level for them to bring him back. And yeah, I mean, compared to the G League, it's no comparison. I think the G League is competitive from an individual basis at times with some of the stars. But as far as, you know, team culture and doing the right thing and, and playing to win, I would send every kid I could over here. I think it does wonders for him. I would do. I would too. Like when you go to Europe, it could be sort of, it depends on what the team is and the coach, you know, you, you just don't know. With China, they could average 82 points a game, but they're not getting anything there. 
And I think when you go into Australia, you get great competition, you got good coaching, you got a country where they speak English, where it is a different culture, but you know, it's probably a little bit better, better deal for them. And those D League games, man, you know, it's just getting your numbers, it's going up and down, it's trying to score 500 points. And it's like a video game where, and it's a little bit more half court, you know, in Australia, I think you get a better education of the game. I, I, I would, you know, I, I would keep exploring that. If I was an NBA team, I would definitely draft. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm a team that, that, that second round pick's not going to make my team anyway, I would send them, I would definitely want to send them over, over to Australia. No doubt. You and, know, for and, sure. And Jessup's with one of the all time wingest NBL coaches of all time. He coached here when I was a kid. He was in China the last 10 years, but he's a fantastic coach. He'll get the best out What's of him. What's his name? Brian Gorgian. Yeah, so he was. He, he's okay, the, I've heard good things. Yeah, and he's now the coach of our national team again. He was a coach in 04 and 08 for the Olympics, um, but just a legend in Australian basketball. He's an, an American um, that moved here back in the 80s to play and then transitioned to coaching, but he's in a great program. So, you know, similar to, to a lot of a lot of guys. I mean, Sydney's a great program for DD, so they'll get better. And, and it, I guess it's a, cheap, a cheaper way for NBA teams to. You know, put their guy somewhere where they can like. You want that adversity. You don't want a guy in the G League that's still close to home, maybe playing in his home city and comfortable, and everything's rosy. And you know, you're getting your stats and everything's cool. You don't really, you don't really see what you want to see. And, and I think as a scout and a team, if you're going to bring a guy in with a second round pick, a year or two into a stash, you want to, you want to have them go through the fire. And, and this is a perfect league for it. So we'll move on to the Q and A. Got some interesting ones today. They're kind of a few curveballs, which is good, but. Long-time fan, loving the pod. Obviously, on the NBA coverage, we don't see coaches drawing up plays. It's more just the inspirational words we see. How many plays do coaches draw up in a game or is the majority at the star's discretion? Also, did you get many plays called for you in Golden State or mainly just as an option? Cheers and keep up the good work. Peter Connolly from Perth. So, these days, uh, you'd probably have more to say about this, but I noticed that a lot of the head assistants generally will have a play ready. So let's say we're talking about Golden State. Steve Kerr might say, hey, you know, get me, you know, when Alvin Gentry was there, it's like timeout, draw this play out for him if it's a quick hitter. And, and then the assistant would, would sketch it up. Steve would come and give his spiel to us and then then pass the board to Steve and the player would be drawn up. Some coaches are completely hands-on. Scott Skiles, when I played for him, he had some of the best quick hitters and, and off the top of his head plays I've ever seen on a coach. So he did it all himself. Um, but then I had Mark Jackson who never drew up a play in his life. So, um, and that's not a knock. He just didn't. It's fact. He he was more giving us the, the speeches about, you know, a, a fighter in boxing that got knocked down and needs to get back up. That was our kind of timeouts um, with him. So every coach does it differently. Some invest more in their assistant coaches and and some don't. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I had Rick Carlisle and for six years in Dallas and he, he's probably the best ATO guy that I've ever seen. You know, he he sits down, rubs his calves and then, and then draws something up and usually gets a great shot nine, 99% of the time. But these days, from what I'm hearing from um, guys who scout games, Teams are running less and less regular offense. It depends, like out of a timeout, they'll run something that's drawn up by a coach. But for the most part, their playbooks are you know, very much shrinking down. In Dallas, I think uh, Carlisle put in a play every day. You know, he had a million plays coming into it, and then he'll put in a new play or two every day almost. And so he was a big, you know, he's a big offense guy. But some coaches, I think it's just coach discretion. I think some will have lesser. I think the way the game's played with five out. I think it's more just like continuity of just like coming down, you know, spacing the floor, get, you know, run and pick and roll until you get the matchup you want and then just put your head down and go. I think there's less and less plays being made and, and being drawn up 
as far as like besides the ATO stuff. I think in game, it's just more of a, fl- a free flowing game. Flowing read, yeah. And then to the end of the question, he, you asked if I had any plays called for me in Golden State. So it wasn't necessarily called by coaches, but playing with Steph and Clay, I knew that if I set a couple of good pin down screens, which would mean me trailing from the top of the key in transition, and I said kind of a wide pin down to Steph or Clay in the corner to come off a down screen, I knew if I could you know, get Steph or Clay two or three threes wide open because I knocked my guy, knocked his guy pretty heavily on the screen. I'd, I'd get one or two slip, slips out of that a game and that was kind of my play. I'd, I'd give my kind of an eye motion to Steph who had the ball, pin down on Clay and I'd slip to the basket early and, and have a lob dunk. So you can see plenty of those clips for alley-oop dunks, but that was kind of my play that that we'd kind of just synchronize with ourselves. And honestly, when I was with Golden State, a lot of our stuff was done, like Pro said, in the flow of things. Steph might say, hey, you guys showing a little hard, slip it early, or hey, set the re-screen after, after your first screen, they're blitzing me, set it the other way again, or whatever it is. And, and that's kind of the game within the game that you have to play. If you're relying on your coach for every play, you're, you're not going to win many games. But um, we'll go on to the next one. This one's an interesting one. For, for better or worse, you've always been keen on exposing a good conspiracy theory. Sometimes wrong, sometimes right. I can say that. It may not be the level of the Yugoslav spies infiltrating Melbourne social clubs, which I discussed on the My Journey pod, but I have it on very good authority that Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks staffers, posed as fans to post pro-team propaganda on message boards in an effort to suppress the well-deserved criticism Hardcore fans were hurling at the organization during your tenure there. So that would have been 2006 to 2012. Years later in Philadelphia, we saw a similar dynamic as the GM went up in flames over posts he and his wife had made on a burner account. Sure, remember that. That was interesting. I'm wondering what what message building actually looks like behind closed doors at the NBA level. Do team executives PR come to you and say, look, our fans are upset with someone we just drafted. For instance, the example he uses is a Chinese guy who doesn't want to play in Milwaukee, which happened when I was there with Iwan Lian, who clearly said, if you guys draft me, I don't want to come. <laughs> they drafted him anyway, which yeah. was a whole other story. And then the PR comes to you and says, can you pump him up in the media or put them at ease? Or two of our stars can't stand each other. One is out the door this summer. Can you make it seem like all is well? And so we get through to the playoffs without any issues from the media. How does it work when you are as a player as part of the organizational messaging? So that's from Charlie in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, the PR department doesn't just bluntly tell you what to say. They'll try to divert you to a certain path, if that makes sense. You know, they'll, they'll try to word something like, hey, if they ask you about this, an example would be when guys were asked about Daryl Morey and the China comments was, you remember what the answer was, right, bro? When they got asked about what's going on in China or Hong Kong? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the answer? You tell me. I don't know enough about the situation to comment. <laughs> 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 that was, that would have been a PR, NBA PR memo that came to teams, PR people with clubs then would have went to their players and said, we don't want you to answer it if you have to give an answer. This is what you say. So yes, they definitely will prep you with things to say and some talking points. As far as the Buck staffers, I don't remember that. Um, I don't. I don't remember anyone that I knew posting. I'm sure there were. I do remember a funny story, Pro, that we we just went through a period where after I was there for about two or three years, our first round picks were were, were out of the league within a couple of years. Like it was. You know, we did very well in the second round, had Luke Marbute one year and whatnot, but our first round picks- like Joe Alexander? We had Joe Alexander. We had Ewan Leon, who was bounced a couple of years later. Brandon Jennings was decent, but the fans were coming, you know, becoming increasingly frustrated and, and they put together a, um, I guess, a protest where they, they wore brown paper bags over their head. <laughs> the oh boy, shit. It was about, I think it was about 15 of them, 20 of them. 
And it was right about when Twitter started. So I kind of was getting some messages about it and I kind of knew and I was like, no, no way they're going to do it. And they ended up kicking them out of the arena. But that just was around that time. I'm not sure you know, if people were actually posting on message boards, but it would not surprise me. I mean, um, small market will try to do everything they can to keep the messaging on, on, on focus. But um, yeah, the PR department has a lot to say. And, and if they think you're a loose cannon like myself, um, that might say, that might not give that political answer, they just won't put you up for media that day. <laughs> just try to hide you for a week or so and give it to to someone who will say the right thing. But um, I'm sure you've dealt with that before, bro. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard stories. I mean, I think when there are certain things, that are certain big issues that are going around the league, I think PR definitely would say, you know, when Dallas, they, they, I forgot a couple of the big things that, they, that, that we've had, but like, like, you know, Donnie Nelson and Carlisle and, and the guy said, hey, look, you know, have free discre- discretion to, you know, to post what you want or answer what you want. But, you know, just understand that it's a big issue these days. And, you know, just sort of, you know, if just sort of make sure you, you understand how it's going to impact the people that read it. I've But I've heard other teams like they'll have interns, st- you know, try to vote for NBA, their NBA players for All-Stars like multiple times, call radio stations under fake names and try to like pump up things that they've done. But, you know, yeah, I, not many media conspiracies when I was in Dallas on stuff or anything like that. But other teams, you definitely hear about some things that they did to try to, you know, to try to have a little tomfoolery or a little chicanery in, in the mix. Yeah, it's like anything. It's like politics. It's like government. It's like Hollywood. It's, you know, if you can change the PR narrative, you can you can divert attention from one thing to another thing and, and that you'd be silly to think that, that doesn't happen in sport. It does. So next one, Bogues, I enjoy listening. Uh, did you write this one in, by the way, Pro? I'm going to read this out, but oh, I think sure. you might have sent this one. I actually enjoy oh, listening no. to your humble beginnings and insight into the NBA. I love the honesty and rawness of the podcast. Mike, he sounds like an awesome character. He's hilarious with some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth. There you go. Sure you didn't write that? I know there's about 10,000 calories that go into my mouth. I don't know about what's coming out of it, but no, I definitely didn't write it. I'm, you know, I've got an AOL instant messenger still, so I don't even know how to use email, man. <laughs> All right, we'll get to the, my, my question. Playing NBA in the US, did you form a tight bond with other Australian NBA players? Like if you're playing against them, did you get a chance to both catch up and have a yarn? Secondly, how did you feel when you got that call up to play for the Golden State Warriors about having an awesome NBL season in Australia. Did you take your family over with you for the short stint? Can't wait for the next episode. Thanks, Regina in Cairns. Maybe you've been to Cairns. Do you know Regina in Cairns, bro? I probably did. I probably <laughs> I, I probably gave to some type of uh, charity that she was running herself. So <laughs> I think when I gave f- 500 bucks, they said, we'll give you a nice email on the, on the Rogues Bogues podcast. You got it right. It's not Rogues and Bogues anymore. It's Rogue Bogues. Beautiful. Well, I'm, I'm, it takes me it takes me fucking three hours to make minute rice. I'm a dumb fuck. What do you want from me? Sometimes I fuck <laughs> things up. I just thought the less S's for you, the better. <laughs> no doubt. Shit. Anyway, to answer the question, Regina, I did. I really enjoyed going back for that that second stint with the Warriors. It was kind of just a, a blessing in disguise. It kind of felt really good to to go back there and see some of the old old teammates and and be part of that again. It was disappointing we couldn't win it. I did take my whole family. I, I wouldn't have went otherwise. To be around without them would just be too hard, especially, you know, I had a newborn at the time and then, you know, the other one was two and a half, three. So important time in their lives more than basketball would be. So that was part of that decision. We ended up overpaying for a a big house for three or four months, but it was well worth it. Nice pool and everything and and made sure that they were as comfortable as possible. 
as far as the Australian side of things, we do. You know, if I get to a city, let's say we're playing in Miami, you know, or let's say I'm going to Utah and I get in tonight for tomorrow's game and Joey's in town, if they're not playing that night from a back-to-back, we we text back and forth and usually catch up for dinner the night before a game. If we didn't have the opportunity to do that, which sometimes you don't just because NBA scheduling, we'd, we'd definitely have a quick chat before the game for our pre, um, pre-game shoot around. But yeah, most of the time we try to try to get a meal together, catch up, talk, and it's just good to hear, you know, an Australian accent. We kind of tell stories about what's going on with our teams respectively. And then it's it's weird because then you're competing against each other next the next night. So you you kind of want to have that professionalism with your own group of guys where you're not, you know, where I'm not being too friendly with Joey because <laughs> I want to I want to kick his ass. So that's um one you can't answer because you're not Austra- you're not Australian, pro. <laughs> Yeah, but you did hang out with me and Brokeroff the last time when you were in Golden State. It was the last hurrah. You, last time uh, you and I were going to be in the NBA, I knew I was getting fired in about a week, and <laughs> you knew you were probably gone after a week. So it was uh, it was the last hurrah. We had sushi in that way overpriced right. place. And- oh, that was great. Hakkasan in San Francisco, fantastic spot. Fantastic spot. Yeah, come on. I, I eat a fucking Burger King and McDonald's. They don't have sushi on that fucking yeah. menu. I can't afford that shit. For anyone that goes to Hakkasan, get the crispy duck salad. It is Absolutely fantastic. They got, I think, Vegas, LA, San Fran. But um, I do remember that. Good old Rowdy. Hopefully, he can... W- w- you speak to him? I haven't spoke to him for a little bit. Is he he's going to get um, get a call up, you think? I think, yeah. I think um, if I had a guess, he's probably just waiting until the summer. You know, probably start it next year. I think he, he tried, with the Phil- um, tried to go to Philly early. I think the European stuff was a little dried up this year. You know, maybe he can get something on with a uh, with an international team, but I think, you know, I think he's probably going to chill with family this year and then and then rekindle it next year. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked that he's not even a 13 to 15 guy on a roster. I mean, he shoots shoots a piss out of the ball. Some of these guys on rosters, it's unbelievable, and it, you know, with what he brings to the table as a shooter and a and a great guy, it was a great professional. I mean, I, I I find it really odd, especially how they value the three point shot and how how they wouldn't give the guy a contract. But you never know; something could happen. But I, I expect him definitely to see him somewhere next year, uh, if not at the end of this year. But I mean, I think Philly could use him. I think I think he's a good insurance policy for Philly at that. You know. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 roster spot. Look, we're talking New Orleans who doesn't have a shooter. There's plenty of teams that don't have shooting that, that definitely could use him. I'm, I'm, I'm as high on him as a professional and a guy who could actually get in a game and do something, you know, as far and as- a great guy, great locker room guy, not a dickhead, you know, you do whatever you ask, keep his mouth shut. You know, he's, I can't speak higher, more higher of him, but it's just mind scratching when you have some of these guys as your, your role players who can then cause issues when they don't get playing time. Without question. Without question. All right, next one. You've named names and hilariously given a few jabs to other athletes in your podcast. In return, who would you not want to start their own podcast and spill the beans on you? Chris Anderson for Brisbane. To be honest, I think we're probably one of the most self-deprecating podcasts out there, bro. I think <laughs> I don't think we well, uh, give two shits really. You know, I've spoken about my free throw woes. I've spoken about, you know, in the My Journey podcast about doing dumb shit and, and deserving the consequences. So no one, to be honest with you, like there's not nothing anyone can go on a podcast and say about me that I wouldn't I wouldn't put on this podcast myself, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have a guy. I mean, I'm pretty open and self-deprecating and besides like Dirk, who could, you know, Zaza Pachulia wanted to kill me one year. He actually asked a, a player from my room number. So maybe if he had a podcast, you know, he could tell you how I, I was in the fetal position praying that he wouldn't kill me for about a week. But besides that, I don't think any other player I would really fear having a podcast about me. 
But at the end of the day, what are they going to say? Like, it's the same old stuff we've all probably heard before, like stuff that they say about you or stuff they say about me, whatever it is. It's like, yeah, like, cool, we've heard that before. Like, what, what else you got? <laughs> it's just kind of- Yeah. Yeah, quite honestly, I'm not- Yeah, thanks for your question, Chris, but I thought it was an interesting one because I, I really don't care. And and even if someone did, I'd have a crack back at them after they had a crack at me and then get on with life. And I think that's what it's all about. Without question. Next one, Bogues and Pro love the show, Cobber. So, Cobber in Australia, Pro is- kind of like mate slang for mate and a quick shout out to pro who has instantly become a great source of knowledge and laughs along the way wanted to ask pro and yourself about shooting specifically form how much do coaches preach perfect form or is it more relative to the shooter's ability as in if it ain't broke don't fix it or do coaches now are they are they now content with them being comfortable and just improving consistency cheers tom from the shire in sydney you can have this one pro go for it yeah, I think there, it depends on how your coach is wired. You might have a coach that doesn't really care, you know, like a Doc Rivers who, 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 who wouldn't care how a guy shot. Obviously, it's result. He'll, he'd let the assistant or the assistants that work with the player, you know, you know, deal with the shot. And I think, I think any coach who knows comfort, you know, being comfortable and confident are the two biggest things you can be as a shooter. Obviously, you want good technique and that's great. We talked about technique on this show. But I think that that letting the player just sort of, as long as he has a regular routine, he's working on it, he has a coach that works on it with him and holds him accountable and gives him feedback constantly is great. Then you'll have coaches that try to micromanage and, and change your shot every other day. And and I think that that's really tough for a player to do. I've seen that happen. And it's just really tough when a coach is constantly, you know, constantly changing your stuff, constantly, you know, trying to like fix this, fix that. And it really affects again, being comfortable and confident. And I think that's a problem. Most problems on staffs, on player teams all over the world are there's five, there's like, you know, a player, especially one that really can't shoot well, he'll get nine different opinions of how to shoot the ball from coaches and players on their same team. There's not like one way they teach shooting and then there's not one voice. And that's why San Antonio is so good with Chip England because like he teaches shooting and everybody just shuts the fuck up and he's the only guy who teaches shooting and then he might have a couple assistants that work with him that work right under him that report right back to him but he's so good because his coach allows him to to teach you know i um i worked with a guy peter patton who's one of the best shooting instructors i've ever seen shooting coaches from he works in dallas and he's very good with stuff he doesn't change things every other day he's very consistent with the way he teaches and his approach but it all depends on the coach. And I think, again, when you're talking about shooting, being consistent with the shooter, how you teach, and not worrying about result right away, and make sure they're comfortable and confident in shooting the way they shoot. But again, it depends on the, how the coach is wired that's teaching them. And it's probably more, if you're going to change someone's shot, it'd be an off-season project, in my opinion. If you, if you try to start messing with dudes in season, I think it it can... I kind of went through it a little bit with 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 Dallas, to be honest. I mean, Carlisle was big on micromanaging. Um, that's no surprise. And like you said, then there was a, another shooting coach there. Then I was working with you, and it was like, depending on who you were working out with, it was a coach that wanted you to shoot a different way or try something different. And I don't know if you remember the, the Quincy AC story. Yeah, I do. With Dallas. <laughs> oh no, not Quincy AC. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know the Quincy story. I think you remember when I tell it. So Quincy AC was. Unbelievable motor, like one of the hardest playing guys you'll find. Three-point shot was kind of inconsistent at times. Streaky, could knock him down, but wasn't his strength. He was a, how tall was he? Six, 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 seven, but played the four, but just long arms, physical, what you wanted, right? You know, for a role player. And I mean, Rick kind of 
Rick Carlisle took him over as a pet project to help him shoot. And Rick's big thing was because Dirk did it, which is one of the greatest shooters of all time, but the only guy I've known to do it, Dirk shoots with the seams of the basketball. So he doesn't put his hand the traditional way. He puts his kind of shooting fingers along the seams. So he's touching the seams. So he tried to – so Rick tried to do the same thing with, um, with Q, with Quincy. And <laughs> Quincy was struggling. Like he was – he was spraying all over the place, air balls left, right. There was kind of no consistency because it was kind of in his head at that point. So he was becoming frustrated. And I guess one practice, he went back to just shooting how he felt comfortable and, and Rick gave him the whole spiel. And Rick got a basketball and traced his hand on that basketball. Do you remember this, bro? So got a shot. Oh, yeah. The tra- <laughs> yeah, he, he did that with some players. He traced the ball around their fingers. Yeah, I did remember this. So, I, I, but what happened? Is there? Yeah, is there- so, we, uh, so it's basically traced his hand where it should be every time he shoots the ball. So whenever Q worked out with Rick, he could only shoot with that ball, right? So then, then Q's like like fucking head spinning. Like, I just want to come in and get some shots up and work on my game. This dude, you know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of breaking my balls a little bit. It's in my head now. I'm thinking about it too much. I don't know if you remember we ended up trading him or waving him. I think we traded him to to Brooklyn in a package deal and um we sent him the ball via FedEx. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they sent him the ball. But yeah, I so remember, he, I remember him having that ball, but I didn't remember us yeah, sending it. So to they him. sent him the ball. They deflated it, put it in the post, and sent it to him to the facility in Brooklyn. And he, he sent a group text laughing his ass off about it. But just a, just a funny story that I just remember because of the shooting thing. But um, yeah, I think I'll just finish up with it's an off season thing. If you're going to change a player's shot, you want to do it at a young age if possible. It's very hard to do mid career, but if you're going to do it, it's something you need to do mid-season just because it's it's a repetition thing that's very hard to do in season thanks for your question yeah th- think about it like a shooter shoots we chatted every shot that a player would shoot during the season in an nba season on workouts dwight powell was the highest every year dwight powell will shoot twenty five thousand shots a season like on in workouts and pregame workouts so you're talking about somebody like if he didn't change his shot for five years that means you take it at least one hundred twenty five thousand shots one way and now you're trying to change that like that's the biggest problem with changing your shot during the season. When games happen and you have something that you have to perform in, you're always going to go back to the old way. And during the off season, you need to really shoot the ball 15, 20, 25,000 times in a three or four month period, the new way, breaking it down from the first time to the last time. You know, it takes about 18 months, 18, 12 to 18 solid months to really consistently change a shot, in my opinion. And it takes a while. So, like, I don't care about what you do during the season. If you got a game that night and you spend five hours shooting a different way, in the game, when there's there's fans and, you know, you're actually keeping score, you're going to always go back to that old way. So whatever you do during that morning time or whatever is going to just be pissed away. You got to, like Bogue said, you got to change it in the, uh, during the offseason. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Otherwise, yeah, it'll just it'll just mind screw you the whole time. But um, next one, Ben Russell from Lang Warren hosts a podcast about NBL fantasy. It's called the Basketball Blokes Podcast. I've always been interested in following. I know athletes get driven mad when people attack them about their performance because it affects their fantasy team essentially or their points. With the growth of daily fantasy, which is basically gambling, this would have only intensified. That being said, fantasy sport has been a factor in increased broadcast rights, particularly in the NFL. So the players would be getting some benefit. How often would people get into your mentions because you cost them a bet or a fantasy game? And with more and more states legalizing sports gambling, do you think this will get worse? Are NBA players trained on how to cope with this? 
Uh, for me, I used to get really pissed off when people used to tweet me about fantasy points because I'd be like, I don't, I don't live in fucking fantasy. I live in reality. And I know I had a, I know I just played like shit. <laughs> I give no well, sh- Wait a minute now. You're in the fucking NBA. If there's no more fantasy world than that, working <laughs> in that, living in that fucking, that fucking deal. You're right. But yeah, it used to, it used to get to me a little bit, but I, I understand it. I've, I've done fantasy before just to experience it with an NBL team ages ago, like probably 10 years ago. I get the frustrations, but there's no one NBA players, professional athletes. When we have when we have a bad game, we know we've had a bad game. We don't need some idiot saying you cost me the fantasy league championship. It's like, yeah, well, I'm living in the reality, and I just had twenty thousand people at a, at a game booing me because I missed the last shot or whatever it was. So we we get it. It, it is frustrating. You are right. It does contribute um, to a portion of our salary and and the growth of a professional sport, but. It is a little frustrating because, um, yeah, yeah, we're not we're not part of that whole fantasy thing, and especially for myself, like I wasn't a huge stat guy. I mean, I put up big numbers early in my career at times and twenty twenty games and all that. But with the Warriors, for me, my role was pretty clear and outlined, and I just tried to do that best of my ability. So sometimes guys would, with their fantasy teams, would get a little frustrated. But that's just that's a part of what we deal with on a daily basis. The gamblers are the worst, though. Man, the, ga- the gamblers. I remember we played in Brooklyn one year, and I I um I was in the game late, and I. I turned the ball over, I threw it over Steph's head out of bounds, like just a horrible pass went over his head and it was a crucial possession. I think we were down one or down two. We didn't even get a shot up and then they came back, they knocked down free throws and they won. Man, I I guess I fucked the lineup and I I had like basically death threats on social media for like a good two or three days and the gamblers, yeah, they're they're on the more aggressive side of of social media posts after you cost them a game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I listened to um, Clay Travis, right? And he was talking about like like fans that tweet at NBA athletes and some of the stupid shit that they would send to him. You got to understand why. Do you think about what you tweet or what you try to send or when you try to interact with NBA players or professional athletes when you see them out and about? Like Travis actually had a good thing with Abraham Lincoln. Like Abraham Lincoln would send, you know, he's an American president. He would send letters like, with all the journalists that would write thing, bad things about him, he would like go back at him in letters. But what he would do was he would write the letter and he would put it in his desk for six days. And then he would actually pull it out and read the letter again and think about it before he sent it. And about 90% of the letters he probably didn't send because he fucking thought about it and had like common sense. Like, yeah, I was mad at the time. It was good to get it, get, get it there, like write it down, but don't send it because it's fucking stupid. Like that's sometimes when like they tweeted players, like they don't give a fuck about fantasy. They can give a fuck less about fantasy or what you think about them based on that. You know, it's just sometimes you just got to like, you got to take a knee on it and just say, fuck it. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to send this bullshit. Like, let's relax. Like, you know, look, they have a bad game. They don't need you. They're going to have some fucking coach breaking down film, 18 fucking media people busting their balls in the media. They're going to have like, they're going to have to answer to this and answer to that being on a trading block. You think they give a fuck about Ed St- uh, Saworski from fucking Baltimore that's pissed at him because he c- cost him his daily fantasy? I mean, sometimes you just got to think and have some common sense when before you try to like, you know, try to like send something out to a pl- to a player, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's the argument of we pay your salary. You hear that a fair bit. We pay your salary. We have a right to critique you, and I, I'd agree with that. You, you have, you definitely have a right to critique. But I think um, I don't really care too much. I'll, I'll fire back at people that go at me. But there are some athletes that you know do get affected by the 
mainly when it's abusive or threatening, you know, like people say shit about your family or, you know, I wish you should, you know, you should kill yourself, that kind of stuff. That's probably where you draw the line a little bit, but um, that's just the negative of social media. You can, any, any idiot can have an account. You don't have to validate that you have a name on the account. You can put a nigger as your profile picture and you can just tweet abuse. But you also, from the flip side, have to think what kind of life that person's living if that's kind of their daily being, right? <laughs> like, so you, you kind yeah, of think, think about from that lens, you know, like they're probably not not doing too well in life. So you, you know, just let them be. It, it's unbelievable some of these people, how they act to when they, like they could be the toughest person in real life and they get to be around an NBA athlete and they're like a 12-year-old schoolgirl. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's weird. Like to me, I try to be like act like even before I got to the NBA, when I saw NBA players or whatever, I tried to act like I've been there before. Like, you know, they're they don't want to you see a hundred people come up to them and act like a you know fucking moron to them. Go up to them and just say, like, if you want to give them a little nod or whatever, hey, and that's it. But try to carry on like you actually know the person. You know, think about that. Like, think about you, you're out with your girl or your wife or Whatever you have, so you know, twenty people coming up like they know you. You're trying to just have a meal, and then not only are they just trying to like monopolize your time on you know sometimes with, with stupid questions or whatnot, but imagine like going at them about like you know missing twelve shots last night. Like, come on, pal. Like, you know, what do you, what do you want me to say right now? Get the fuck get the fuck out of here. You know? Yeah, like, no, that's hard. I understand why players get frustrated. You know? Oh, definitely. It, it is hard, and that's that's a part of the whole monopoly of being a professional athlete you know you you kind of sign up for whether it's right or wrong is a different argument but you sign up for not having your own time and you know i've had people take you know they sit next to me at a table at dinner and you can clearly see the phone is angled towards the side towards me and i'm like you know about to chow down a piece of steak i've got steak on my fork and they're taking photos of me <laughs> just like yeah you know I hate a few times shit. i'm like hey do you, want, do you want to just get a normal normal photo at the end of my meal? I've got no problem doing it, but like, do you really want a photo with me eating some fucking ribeye? <laughs> like, what are you gonna oh, do? What are you gonna do with that? <laughs> what are you gonna do with it? That yeah. shit, that shit is scary, man. Like, I don't know how it is now. My last year, you know, I, I hung around a little bit with Luca, and, and that that was before the phenomenon really started. And he, but like, we would go out like once in a while, not a lot. He would usually just stay in, but. We'd go out like in Indianapolis, we would go out to a steakhouse and like in the drive from the ho- from the hotel to the steakhouse was like maybe a, a mile and a half. And we had this dude chase our car, our Uber, all the way there. And like I'm getting out of the car and this guy's like, like a schoolgirl, like excited, like shivering. I thought he was going to pull something out, like a knife or something. It's a scary deal with some of these people. Like, here's one thing, Bogues. You're you play in the NBA forever. You got a, you got people listening to the podcast that are big time fans of basketball. If you know, and I know like you don't want to entertain a million people that come up to you, but if they were gonna come up to an NBA player, what's the best way to come up with them to sort of like maximize that eight seconds interaction with that player without like making that player feel a little weird or 
you know, making it, I mean, it's already going to be weird. Don't get me wrong, but how would you do it? How would you instruct like regular fans to come up to NBA players? Well, it's time, it's time and place and depending on what setting you're in too, like have some sort of social norms about yourself. So if I've got, you know, I've been out before just for a walk with the kids and I've got a toddler in one arm and I'm holding the, the four-year-old's arm and trying to chase them, stop them from running along the road. And then some dude's like, hey, can I get a photo? And I'm like, mate, like, like. <laughs> I'm not putting my toddler down next to a main road. I don't want my kids in the photo. Like, I don't want to say no to you. I'd take the photo happily, but it's not the right situation, right? But in other other circumstances, like, there's a lot of people that do it respectfully. I think the the, the dickheads are, are a minority, maybe 10, 10 to 15% of people are probably a little bit more demanding than they should. But most people, you know, excuse me, I'm a big fan of yours. I followed you from college. Just want to say good luck tomorrow. Like, I respect that. You know, that's, you've used your manners. You haven't interrupted a conversation and you're not making it about yourself. Whereas, you know, one night we were in Charlotte and I went out for, for dinner with, with, I think it was myself, Steph, Draymond, Clay, a few other guys and a family came up to Steph and, and wanted a photo and, and we just politely said like, hey, like, no problem, just can you wait till the end of the meal? So they went and sat down and then came back 10 minutes later like, oh, can we have that photo now? And Steph's literally got fucking f- food on his, potatoes on his fork. Like, and I, I kind of fired up because I like, listen, like I kind of said to him, you just, if you wait for us to finish, finish the meal in about 30, 40 minutes, we're happy to take the photo. Oh no, we want it now. Well, it's like, well, you can't fucking have it now. Like it's the dude's eating, like he's in the middle of a meal, like show some sort of basic respect. Like if you're going to put him out, you can put yourself out for 30 minutes. Just wait out the front in the lobby of the restaurant. And when we walk out, he'll happily take a photo with you. But that goes back to people. It's, it's kind of the, you know, they want what they want and they want it now. And that's a minority. But most people that are respectful would understand that. And that's you just, you just got to deal with that on a daily basis. And it's just unfortunate. And even if I see people I'm a fan of, whatever it may be, sometimes you can just tell it's not the right social setting. You know, the, the guy's carrying a baby or he's cleaning his dog poop up on the street. You know, whatever it is, there's like some settings where you're just like, this is a bit too much. I'm just going to let it ride, you know? Yeah, you got to be self-aware, right? And just sort of read the situation. Like, you know, and that's a completely different thing from those types of people than to the people when you get into a city at like 2.30 in the morning and there's like 60 people waiting for autographs when you get to the hotel. Those guys are a completely different, you know, different sort of entity of, of weird dudes. That, and that's for money that are trying too, to like, get. So there's, yeah, there's probably- That's all money. 1% of them might be a fan, but 99% of them are trying to get you to sign whatever they've got and then it goes straight on eBay the next morning, which I, I respect the hustle, but then those guys then will, I've heard them abuse guys for not signing, you know, like, oh, you suck anyway, yeah. I didn't want your autograph. And you're just like, really? You're here at 2.30 in the morning. You just yelled his name for five straight seconds. He said no, or it's 2.30 in the morning and now now you hate him. <laughs> like, really? It turned it turned that quickly? Yeah, that that's going to be an issue at some point with NBA security. There's going to be something that happens at a hotel. It, it be Just because like, you know, you're catching a team sleeping when they're off a plane. You know, they're coming off a back-to-back and they're, they're getting into a city at 2.33 in the morning. Security guys just trying to get, to, get people into the hotel. You get those people sort of like in that little like roped-off area. You're going to have something that's happened. I, I think, you know, it's just yeah, it's just too open of an area and they allow too many people well, you know, they can into do, that situation. That's the problem because it's – I guess the laws in the states, like you can, you can essentially. So for those listening, when you when we get to hotels at whatever time, we could get there at four p.m. We could get there at twelve a.m. It could be after a game. We're flying into that city and getting there at three a.m. There's there's fans that wait at the front of the hotels, and they've got all the stuff they want autographed, and they they sell it later, whatever it is, right? So most hotels now will rope off an area to at least keep it somewhat safe. But 
I've seen some hotels try to stop that completely and say no no loitering in front of the hotel. So what these dudes do is they just wait around the corner. And as soon as they see that big, uh, big Greyhound bus or whatever the bus is pull up, they sprint to the front of the door and these people can't do anything. So it's hard to stop. And these people will be there in Arizona in 100 degree weather outside. They'll be there in minus 20 in Milwaukee with beanies and gloves on waiting for those autographs. And it's, it is interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. It's in your face. We've, I've had, I haven't had run-ins, but I've seen guys get into push and shove matches. I mean, in Toronto one year, we had Brandon Jennings' rookie year. We had a car follow our bus to the airport. And in Toronto, yeah. it's not, you have to go through the public part of the terminal because they don't, because it's a different country. You can't go straight to your private jet like you can if you're flying in domestic in, in the US. So a guy basically ran after Brandon Jennings and, and grabbed B Brandon by the backpack to stop him going through. And then, you know, it was on at that point. I, I, I basically grabbed him by the collar of the of the shirt and threw him off Brandon Jennings. I still remember it because I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, don't put your hands on him. Like, he said he didn't want to sign. You know, go on your merry way. And that could have got ugly real quick, right? You know, like if I did something more, like punched him or hit him, all of a sudden I'm in trouble. So you're right, man. Like, it's, it's, it's one of those things that something's going to happen eventually, but there's nothing you can do about it. There's really nothing you can do about it. No, no. So, I mean, we could do a podcast just on crazy NBA fans, crazy NBA, we call them- Girl, friends in quotation marks. We might have to do a spin-off. <laughs> crazy. We'll do a spin-off eventually on that. Last question. I thought you'd like this one. It's um, it's to do with food. So, food in the oh, nice food in the states. Hey mate, just wondering how you found the food coffee in your time in the US. We traveled to the states frequently pre-COVID. The hardest part for us was finding decent a decent breakfast brunch and a good cappuccino. Potty is awesome. You guys are both great. Keep it up, R uh, Rory from Brisbane. So, pro in in Australia. Kind of the the brunch, long breakfast is kind of a big thing. You have a coffee and whatever, especially on weekends. Similar there, but a little bit different in Australia. So I will sure. go on record and say America has probably the worst coffee in the world. I'm not sure why. It's just not not high on the priority list there. Proper coffee. I'm not talking about the gas station shit where you fill up a gallon or a liter <laughs> of, of coffee for your, for your long truck right. drive between Tennessee and Houston, but I struggle with that. The food, you've just got to know where to go. Look, if you're in if you're in the Midwest or some small small towns, it might be hard to find a salad. <laughs> it might be hard to find something healthy. That's my problem. It's hard for me in 30 NBA cities to really find <laughs> salads. That's why I went against it, to be honest. But go ahead, folks. I, I didn't want to interrupt you. No, but I'd agree. I mean, look, like anything, you gotta you gotta do you gotta make the effort. Sometimes, you know, the biggest cities, there's more variety. I definitely love the food in. Australia more than, than the US. I feel like the US in Australia it's like this to an extent, but in the US it's predicated much more towards fast, quick, easy. Not a lot of people cook in the States anymore. It's starting to come like that a little bit in Australia. But yeah, I'd agree. The coffee there, Starbucks is I mean, there were some road trips like Oklahoma City where Starbucks was kind of the only coffee you could get and it was it was hard. It was kind of I'd pinch my nose and just shoot it down like a shot of fucking vodka. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so bad. Um, but just something you had to deal with. I, you know, at home, I bought my own coffee machine that grinded my own beans. I found a good, a few good bean supplies and I'd, I'd usually have better coffees at home than cafe, but um, bit of an issue culturally, but that's just something you have to deal with. Pro, you have any issues with food over there? Uh, no, I never really have issues with food, obviously. But like, I think with NBA teams, you know, with NBA players and, and staff, when you're going on the road, you sort of, you know, you're sort of habitual people. Like, you know, in Milwaukee, where you're going to go, you know, in LA, where you're probably going to go, you don't really venture off. I'm very habitual. Like I knew, like I knew in LA, I would go to, 
you know, Manhattan Beach. You know, I, I think I met you with yeah, my we boy Seth. Yep, yep. uh, yeah. So like Manhattan Beach, I knew I was always going to go to the same spot. I knew in Boston, which I, you know, I'm from, I know I'm going to go to the Italian section and eat. So it's like, I'm not a coffee guy, so I don't drink it. But like with food stuff, it's just, you know, the problem is you can't really eat at the hotel for me because I, was, so expensive. I wasn't making great money. You know, like I remember my first road trip in Dallas, I was breaking down film for Vince Cotta. And I got like cookies and milk just for a snack. And the thing cost me like $37.50 for a shot of milk and a fucking like three Oreos. It was like $37.50. I say, get the like. So then you're like, you're not eating at the hotel because it's like 80, there's like $90 in charge, like 80% of your money is all on taxes and delivery charges. I'm like, fuck that. So I'm walking out and I'll just find a place. I'm not going to get Uber Eats. I know I'm, I'm totally against Uber Eats. There's too many memes of like people yeah. taking pictures in bathroom stalls with some Uber Eats fucking bag next to them in a fucking stall. There's no way I'm going to get a third party. So I think by the city, you know, if you have a bad experience on the road, you know, like, like to a spot, you'll try to find something else. But I think for me, at least in my six years in the league traveling, like certain city, you knew where you're going to go. You knew you're going to go game day. It, it, it changes. How about you, Bobes? Were you very habitual with the places you went on the road or you, you would like to try different spots? Yeah. I mean, some like once you found a good spot, like say you went down south, you'd know a few good barbecue spots. That was a cool thing. So every every city had a different cultural norm about it food-wise. So you'd kind of experience that. Beignets in New Orleans, get the donuts, like all that kind of stuff. So that was always cool. And, and I think that's part of even traveling the world is trying – the local cuisine that they're known for because it's usually the best you're going to have. But for the most part, if it was if we got in late, like if we landed at 5, 6 p.m., I'd generally just go to the hotel and get room service. But you're right, man. It is expensive. I remember I got – we were in New York one one road trip and I got um, I went and got some food from a restaurant across the, across the road, just some takeaway to take out. And I forgot to get myself some utensils, a knife and fork, a plastic knife and fork wasn't in the bag. So I get back to my room. About to watch a game, kick my feet up, eat my meal. So I call, I call down to the front desk and I say, "Hey, I just need some cutlery, just a knife and fork, whatever." So they knock on the door. I answer the door. He hands me the, you know, the rolled up knife and fork in the in the napkin. Sure. And then hands me a a leather pouch, and I'm like, "What is this?" So, so it's a it's a bill. <laughs> it was thirteen dollars. for It was thirteen dollars for, for, for utensils, man. So I was like, I was looking at, I was looking at the dude. I was like, "Are you serious? Like, this is this is gonna this is gonna cost me thirteen dollars?" Yeah, so we have a surcharge on the utensils. Sorry, blah blah blah, because you didn't order from the hotel. Okay, cool. So you know what I fucking did? I took that. I took those fucking utensils with me on principle. Yeah. I took the knife. Ah. And, I took the <laughs> knife and fork. Bent the shit out of it. Walked out of the hotel the next day and threw that shit in the bin. But I was just like, man, like, yeah, this boy, you, you thirteen dollars? Like, like I'm not. I'm not cheap by any means. I love a good. I'll overpay for meals, man. Like if it's a. If it's the experience for me is fantastic, I'll pay for filet mignons, for wagyu's, but for a knife and fork that I'm gonna have to give back to you, like I'm not, I'm not rolling with that, <laughs> not rolling with it at all. Yeah, there was more DNA on that than the LA crime scene. I hope you did throw that the fuck away. But you know, I agree. The hotels that NBA players stay and teams stay at, you know, it's like the movies where like you got to tip 18 people and they charge you for everything. Every little thing that you do, they charge you for. And if you don't put a credit card down, the team will charge you for it. You know, the team will pick it up on their credit card and then charge you for it down the road. 
but uh, it's crazy with the with the different things that you you know you can get anything you want usually at these hotels, but they charge you an arm and a leg plus delivery plus service charge plus extra tax. It's unbelievable, uh, un- unbelievable. My first few years in the league, I didn't realize that um, the tip was included in the bill. So how the fuck would I know that? I come from college, didn't know much about tipping coming from Australia because we don't tip here. So yep. um. Like the dudes were like really nice. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, thank you. You know, if you need anything else, let me know. And then like, I think like a year in, someone's like, I don't know how the conversation came up, but they're like, you know, the tip's included in your bill, right? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, read, read the bottom of that shit. There's a service charge. That's the tip. It's 20% usually in those hotels. So I was tipping 40% oh. at times because I was doubling up and I had no idea these dudes were like loving me. Like, <laughs> we'll get you anything yeah. you want. Call us. Like fuck! No. Like at least I at least I help someone. I can't feel too bad, but I was like, man, getting fleeced. It's unbelievable. How about those guys that like when you already get a, like a like a fourteen fifty tip on like a like French fries? You got to tip them fourteen bucks for, and then they're like looking at you stupid, like when you don't when you don't put the extra tip down. Oh yeah, it's no, no, unbelievable. Yeah, so for people at home, when you get these bills in these high end hotels. Still has all the, all the charges, and they hand you the the pouch, and they stand there staring at you. So they basically know, like, if you haven't taken some time to fill something in before you sign your name, they know you haven't extra tipped on top of the tip. <laughs> so, so that yeah, I've I've definitely had some where they're just, just staring at. You. I'd, I'd usually still tip a little bit just because I felt guilty sometimes. So I give them a couple yeah. extra bucks on top of the twenty percent tip I'm already paying. But man, they get those eyes can guilt the shit out of you, man. Oh, no shit. No, no kidding. I'm like, I try to like put my hand over my eyes and I'm like, all right, here, take it. It's yeah, just get out of my room. It's like, Cause you get like, <laughs> yeah, get the fuck out of here. Like I get, you get 144 a day on the road in the NBA. Every team, every staff member that travels, they'll get per diem of 144 bucks a day, give or take. And you know, that shit goes real quick when you got to pay fucking. And you're paying you know, tax on that. Like, don't forget. So at the end of like, you, oh, yeah. the end of your, you don't take it out of that money on the day, the cash you get. But once you get your, your fortnightly or biweekly uh, paycheck, you, you look in the bottom of it and they've taxed you on that as well. Uncle Sam's not missing out on anything, but let's finish so, up with story yeah. time, story time. We're going to do planes, trains, and automobiles. We're going to do some, some airplane stories. So I've had two run-ins with a plane almost going down in my NBA career and both of them were in my first two years. So I we had a deal with Midwest Airlines, now defunct, shocker, um, with Milwaukee Bucks. Oh. And they were actually known for their cookies, but not so much for their flying apparently. But um so we I used to sit behind Tony Kukoc, veteran of mine, my rookie year. I was he was kind of my idol growing up, so it was kind of surreal. He used to sit, he had two seats to himself and then I was behind him, had two seats to myself. He used to sit on the seat next to the window and he would he'd look out the window the whole fucking flight, right? Any anything happens, any movement, any a small turn by the plane descending, he'd be looking out that window. And I was just like, man, like he was scared of flying essentially, right? So I asked him one day and he said, Look, with the Bulls one year, we almost basically crashed in downtown Chicago. So I was like, all right, fair enough. And I wasn't, I didn't give a shit about flying at that point, right? So then we're flying one one night, we're flying from Detroit. Or so, yeah, I think it was from Detroit. We're flying over Lake Michigan and um, just hear a massive bang. So we all have like Bose noise cancellation earphones. So we all heard it through that. Took our headphones off, like what's going on? So one of our motors engines just blew up in midair, freezing cold outside. 
So like we just drop a little bit, they descend and they're like on the speaker, like buckle up, we're going to emergency land. <laughs> like, holy shit. So it was kind of scary, but I was young and dumb at that time. I, I didn't really think too much of it. We landed in, I think, Grand Rapids and I had to take, I can't even remember how we got home. And, and the second one was, get this one, this one's, this one's kind of scary. So we're in, we're in Brooklyn or New Jersey at the time and we, um, we got to fly out and our plane wasn't de-iced properly. So there was an issue with the plane. So we couldn't fly out. We come back the next day. They're like, look, we can't use this plane. We're going to bring another one in. Come back the next day. Well, they hadn't brought a new plane. They kept the same one and they said, it's all good now. So we go to take off. Um, apparently, they didn't de-ice the plane properly on takeoff. We take off and as we're going up, ascending, apparently there's sparks and flames coming out of our motor, right? So this asshole, oh, in the the asshole in the tower in New Jersey doesn't doesn't radio us, <laughs> doesn't tell us. So we, pilot doesn't know. So he gets like halfway up to altitude, and I guess he, he realized something was w with the throttling or the power or whatever. Something wasn't right. So he radios back in and he's like, "Look, something's wrong. I'm I'm, I'm getting some bad feedback from the controls. We're going to come back and land. I think something's wrong with the plane." He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we saw we saw some 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 sparks coming out of your motor, but just thought you know whatever. Like we're just like what." Are you fucking kidding me? So, anyway, That's we unbelievable. Yeah, we come back and and we um we we basically emergency land and then we get stuck there another night. And I think we had to miss a game because of it or something. But we we got severely delayed. But just the perils of of um of NBA travel and and now now I'm a horrible flyer. Like when I was younger, like you could have done anything. I used to sleep on the floor of planes on those private on those chartered jets. Used to do all kinds of shit. Now it's like. We hit like one little air pocket. I'm tightening that fucking belt. I've got my seat reclined forward. I'm holding on for dear life. <laughs> like, and I'm now no Tony. Doubt. I am now Tony Kukoc. Like, it's like it's it's unbelievable. The older you get, those stupid little things stress you out a little bit more. I totally agree. I was on a flight. Um, it's funny, you know. You say Michigan. I was in the D League. Dallas was fine. We never really had much of an issue. Maybe some turbulence, but we were going to, you know, we were out of Maine and Portland. I was coaching the, the Celtics D-League team as an assistant. We were flying from like Maine to like New York, New York to, to Detroit, and then Detroit to somewhere else. So it's D-League travel, right? Not that you ever had a deal with that. But uh, we were flying in a, into, into Michigan, I think Grand Rapids actually. And they said like 30 minutes before we landed, it's like, our landing gear does not work right now. So you gotta, we're going to have to get into emergency crash positions. And this is like a puddle jumper. This 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 flight, this plane was out of Gilligan's Island or something. I I don't know how the fuck the thing was up in in the first <laughs> place. So I was next to Billy Thomas, who played in the NBA for a few years, and he was our veteran. And we were down in crash positions, hearing players praying and crying. I'm holding Billy's hand. I, I thought we were done. And thankfully, like five or six minutes before we descended, the fucking thing, you know, the thing closed down. But that was some scary shit. Um, I don't fuck with flights. I, I hate it. I, I don't mind flying. I've, I've flown to China like eight or nine times. I don't care about it that much, but turbulence or anything like that, like you said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at attention. Like you said, like, you know, buckling up this and that it, it's yeah, that, that shit scares the shit out of me. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I have to stop wearing gray, gray shirts on flights, gray t-shirts because <laughs> we it, we, later on in my career, probably the last four or five years, because uh, yeah, basically any turbulence or any bump, like uh, my armpits would be <laughs> soaking wet. I'm like, fuck, I got to start wearing just black t-shirts now, man. <laughs> this is great. I, I, yeah, with Golden State, like that last 
the, not the, the first time I was there, we'd be playing poker and I'd we start hitting turbulence. I'd take my shirt off, like and just be sitting there, no shirt on. Stewardesses would be laughing at me. I'd just be pouring sweat, like, <laughs> like, like it That's got to a, a point where like stewardesses would come out to me. Sorry, you can't say that anymore. Flight attendants um, would come out Flight before attendants. we're about to hit turbulence. And be like, hey, boys, we're just giving you a warning. There's going to be some turbulence. I'm like, that's fucking worse. Don't tell me. <laughs> don't, I don't want to know. I'd rather be surprised by it because then once they tell you, then I'm sitting on that on that plane just just bracing for, <laughs> for impact. And sometimes- Did it, they drug you or anything? Did you- did No, you, I, wasn't like, that, I wasn't that. I'm exaggerating a little bit. I wasn't that bad, but yeah. I, I definitely- Look, I definitely tightened the belt up. I wasn't sitting there like, like panicking where someone had to, you know- take me off a ledge but yeah I, I didn't enjoy it i can tell you that much but it, it wasn't i didn't i don't think we had anyone that never being with anyone like that that was that bad um that had to be sedated or anything but man it was yeah it definitely wasn't fun but it was just a running joke that the stewardesses would come out i'd be yelling at the pilot because we used to sit at the front of the <laughs> we used to sit at the front of the plane playing cards and i'm like look at your fucking radar man go around that shit what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> so they would always yeah, laugh. Shit. They would always laugh at me because I knew the pilots, and it was just like it ended up being a bit of banter, which would just be a fun part of the flight. Yeah, that that shit could get a little scary, especially those pockets of turbulence could get a little scary for, for especially anybody, especially when it's winter, like when it starts getting you going from oh like, the de-icing and stuff. Yeah, de-icing, and then you're going from a warm climate to a cold climate, and you just know eventually you're going to hit a, the border of one of those states or, or near the mountains somewhere in Utah, and you're just going to drop or you're just going to do a, a, a left turn bank real quick and you're like, oh God, you know? So, but um, that's the fun of, of NBA travel, not like it was back in the day with trains and buses. But um, anyway, oh, fuck, no. we'll wrap it up there. Thanks, Pro. Um, we're going to take a, a week off from traveling next week. So, for everyone out there, you're going to have two weeks of blue balls waiting for the next podcast. So, hopefully, we'll build up some momentum to that one. But thanks for tuning in. Rogue Bogues, all the social media platforms, podcast platforms at Hoop Consultants on Instagram and the food channel, I mean, uh, Twitter. And, we'll and by the way, and by the way, the rich fuck is traveling. I'm, I'm, I'm still sitting in fucking Dallas changing dirty diapers for a fucking week. So uh, don't, don't get it fuck. twisted like I'm traveling. Yeah, yeah. The rich Do you know fuck. how I'm traveling? I'm driving, baby. I'm driving, driving 18 hours. No, 18 the rich hours. cheap fuck. The rich cheap fuck is traveling. No, no it's not. It's not. It's I'm not. It's not, a, it's not a monetary decision. It's a governmental decision because I don't trust these assholes here in Australia. That if, if I come to a different <laughs> state, that I'm not going to get locked in this shit for another two week lockdown. So the bonus of having a car on site is I can just jump in that shit and get the fuck out of here if I need to. All right. So for the next two weeks, I'll practice rogues bogues instead of rogues and bogues. I appreciate that. No, it's rogue bogues. Rogue. Oh, oh rogue bugs. Less I like S's. rogues bugs, actually. No, but it's too, it's too much, you know, so. Too much S's for me. Yeah, too, I got too it. much S's for you. So then that way, if we go rogue, it's one less for you and then people can understand us better. I appreciate it, brother. I hope you get turbulence in your car, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Take it easy. See you next time. Take it easy.